This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. It was funny, we did a three versus three team draft, and it was team judges against team not judges, was just how it, like, <laughs> randomly got paired up. So, of course, like, team not judges just fucking demolished team judges. But team judges definitely made sure we played by the rules. <laughs> <laughs> So. Welcome to the A-Team Podcast, brought to your ears by ManorDeprived.com, home of Canadian magic. In 2010, a crack magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mines they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-Team. KYT. Anything that costs a shit ton of mana, you're just like, bang! And you're like, fuck. How does that go? Bang! Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Boosh. And that's like the hyper angle. I never want to play in another GP again. I, want to, I never, ever want to play in another GP. Jeremy. And you're the reason I play Magic too. I'm like, I just like, I died. I died. I was like, like just melting on the inside like that. I have inspired this kid to play Magic. And Matt. So I'm having this conversation with this guy in Chile about my deck. And then I'm getting pizza from a guy in Canada. Like, magic is fucking weird. And now, the A-Team. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 283 of the A-Team podcast. I'm KYT and I'm here with my super duper competitive friends. How's it going, Dozer? (laughs) Good, good. And my other super competitive friend, Jeremy Schofield. How's it going, Jeremy? We're starting? I'm like trying to eat dinner here, man. Like, what the heck? And play magic. (laughs) <laughs> like a boss. Yes. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm like, I am triple queuing. I am podcasting, I am eating dinner, and I'm playing against Gabby right now on a Watsy coverage account. And uh, you're gonna... Oh, Watsy help. coverage accounts, those thieves. <laughs> thieves! God. Thieves! I'm about to get quasi-blown out here. Oh, you and know that if you beat them, <laughs> you still get prizes, right? Yeah, I know. And then if you lose I, to them, literally nothing changes. Yeah. You still don't get prizes. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't know that. No, no, no. You, it's, they're just... KYT apparently missed my point. It's just, they're just a normal... Yeah, they're, like, they're real people. They're real people. I if you play against me... Defensive Atarkus Command, so I think I win this one. <laughs> use the Atarkus Command on the D, so... <laughs> anyway yeah and Jared's gonna at the same time try to help me uh interview this guy that we're gonna have on james shu who wrote a book called magic the addiction that's so right people this right is up a... we're not selling out because we're not getting anything for this right <laughs> no we're not we're not um i mean he did give us a free preview copy to read so we did get something and then you're like but... hey we're gonna do this this week yeah. Surprise. I love that you, like, I'm quite literally working 14 and twos, 12 hour days right now. I don't even have enough time to shit at the end of the day. 
Yeah, and you picked, and you also picked a. Like, literally, I have to, like, do it every second day. Because I just, I don't have time. But I think, I think in a way, it's, like, the best time to have them. Because it's usually our favorite time to have guests when we didn't play Magic and we're just like, hey, Shaheed, how was your weekend? I bounce sometimes to play Magic. I thought you were going to say it's the best time to, to have him on because we're going to talk about a guy who wrote a book and Jay's not here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How'd I that mean, OMG episode go, huh? <laughs> I mean, we, we got to be fair. Anytime there's not a guest is like the best time for Jay to be gone. <laughs> so, because Jay hates guests. And oh my God, does he hate more than one? So, I don't remember who was on that OMG episode. Um, but uh, what do you mean the OMG episode? The Mike Flores episode? Yeah, yeah. Who who was actually on? I don't even remember. Jay was on it. Scotty was on it. You were on it, and I can't remember if Medina was on it. But okay, this was before your. I time. do remember Scotty just. Uh, I remember Jay just every now and then just jumping in and just saying, "Why are we even talking about this garbage? Oh my god, can you guys just buy his book so we can move on to some other shit?" Like he was just. <laughs> <laughs> wow I think he played a lot of Dota Dota I said Dota do I get beat I don't know hey guys oh hey. wow voices hey welcome to the show James how's it going <laughs> hey I'm good how's it going it is well we were just talking about the last time somebody came on to talk about a book Jay was like super Unwelcoming, <laughs> and how oh, more than usual here. <laughs> oh, that's that's really. <laughs> well, just the Mike Flores does come off as uh, comes off a certain way to certain people, <laughs> despite me being a huge <laughs> fan of his. Um, James, welcome to the show. Um, I've been uh, listening to certain uh, shows that you've been on, preparing for this. Uh, just uh, listening in on your little podcast tour that you're sort of doing. And um, so let's just start off. And I'm sure you might be tired to answer the same question at this point, but uh, introduce yourself. How'd you get started with Magic, et cetera, whole gist? Yeah, so I started playing, introduced to Magic, started playing the game when I was in Canada. Uh, I was still living there. It was about the early 90s. I think it was Revised Edition. My brother and I just... We were big gamers. We played board games, video games. We played Nintendo, all that stuff. And one day we sort of walked into our local shopping mall. And one of the gaming stores had Magic there. It just had uh, the Shrinkwrap starter set for Revised Edition, two decks, the life counters, all that cool oh, stuff. Oh, like that one that was like the, the bigger box that looked like uh, the back of a Magic card? Yeah, it was uh, so yeah, cool. That box set was time. awesome. Yeah, man. I, I think I still have the box somewhere. <laughs> it, it, like, I was about 12 or 13 years old, uh, and we just saw it, and then underneath the, the display, there were like all these magic singles, and you know, Shivan Dragon, and Lord of the Pit, and we, my brother and I were just, we just were just like, wow, what is this stuff? And you know, we collected baseball cards and other types of things before, but this looked different. So that's kind of how we got started. We found it in the store. We asked our parents to buy the starter set for us. We took it home, uh, ripped it out of the packaging in like two seconds, and then we started playing the game, improvising the rules for 
every day basically for for a while that's kind of how we got started what was your custom rule that you played with when you started learning how to play well we just just really didn't know how the rules worked well no 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 i know that but uh you know sometimes like for example when i learned how to play every creature had wither what was your thing Uh, I think our thing was just that we were playing as many lands as we wanted to. Uh, as long as, as soon, it was basically like exploration every every turn. And we also, I'm trying to think what else we did back then. We also had weird, like we never understood banding. I guess we still don't understand it to this day. <laughs> and so we just made up these weird rules like, uh, you know, I, if I ban with this creature, I can like ping this this other creature or this, the player for free. And like, there were all these wild things that we did and we couldn't really. That's actually how banding works. That, that's, that's actually how it works, you know, just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe we were playing it correctly. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how we, we got started. Sweet. Um, and, and then at some point, uh, you fell in love with deep uh, with the game. And, and most recently, just a few years ago, you felt like you hit like this bottom point, right? Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Right. So it was about two years ago. Um, I was playing Legacy competitively, and I was already living in Beijing, China, as I am right now. And I wanted to get back into playing in a GP, and the GP was announced in New Jersey, Edison, New Jersey, for the Legacy one. And that was the one with the sweet brainstorm playmat. And oh, yeah. I want. Yeah, I wanted to go, so I actually took time off work from China to fly directly to New Jersey for five days, you know, like two days of the event, and then three days just sitting in the hotel. Um, And I was really, really disappointed because I didn't go with any of my friends. My friends from Vancouver, where I'm from, they didn't actually get to go, some of my good buddies. And so I had this romanticized view of, I'm going to go there, I'm going to crush it, (laughs) I'm going to make it (laughs) too... Uh, I, I'm only there like just to play magic. I didn't even visit my friends who were in the Jersey, New York area. I just sat in a hotel and in the convention center doing that. And then I found out, holy crap, I didn't make day two. I, I lost. Oh. I scrapped out. Um, and I also didn't play the de facto best deck at the time. And so I was trying to be a magic hipster as well. So um, all these kind of things just sort of coalesce to use a... <laughs> to use a fancy word and i felt extremely extremely disappointed like why the heck did i go there just to play magic and i also turned down a vacation with my girlfriend because at the time she had time off we could go to thailand and i said no sorry baby i gotta go and play magic in edison new jersey and then it was just a real rock bottom for me at the time because a few years back i had such a great time in another gp and i wanted to recreate that magic pun intended but it just didn't work out, you know? So that's kind of, that's kind of what happened and how I started writing about it, uh, my experiences uh, in Magic. Do you have, like, a crew of people that you went with? Like, or did you kind of do, like, the solo thing? I did the solo thing because I had a bunch of friends from Canada and elsewhere that were going to go, but at the last minute, they couldn't because they had life stuff. And so I went with a, a guy who was from the Bay Area. We met there, met up there together. We roomed and we, we played it together. He's a good friend now, but I didn't know him as well at the time, so it didn't really feel like I 
I was with some of the friends that were really, I was really tight with. So it was more of a solo affair for me mentally. Mm-hmm. I consider myself like, I had a stretch where I was ultra competitive, where I had, it was only last year, over uh, 4,000 planeswalker points for someone who just plays GPs in, in North America. But I would never consider going overseas for a while. So you definitely had that romanticized idea in your head. To I did, man. All the way and here. I, I was, it was really funny because I would make small talk with my opponents and be like, hey, where are you from? And then they would be a little bit, they thought I was joking. And then, and, and then they kind of think I'm just like, this guy's got to be some kind of high-level grinder. Like, why, why the fuck is he coming to, uh, to, to, to Edison fucking New Jersey to play Magic right now? So... So yeah. I have a question. And this is where it's at. Did you also exactly. get fucked by Airbnb during this trip? Uh, no, I was. I was pretty <laughs> lucky. Did I, Toronto. I, I had a proper hotel, so I didn't, okay. uh, didn't run into that. Jared, take notes. Yeah. <laughs> what was so the most disappointing part of that experience? Because I definitely understand where you're coming from. Where you you have these expectations and you have this idea of how it's going to be, and then things just start falling apart and you're actually way more tired than what you, you know, what you expected. And like in America, one of the problems that grinders, anything, anybody that goes to a convention center convention for anything can frequently find themselves is that the convention center is awful when it com- in comparison to the location and your hotel is is basically making it so where you can't go anywhere without a taxi and taxis are expensive. But what was the worst, most disappointing part of your experience? You know, I think the most disappointing part was just what was going on in my head. I, I think the actual facilities and the way the tournament was run and the player interactions I had were fairly positive, but it was just the fact that I felt mentally all in. Like, I felt like I came here to do something, which was to day two and to hopefully do well. And I put in a lot of playtesting, which in hindsight actually was flawed. I didn't, there were a lot of things that I, I found out on reflection I wasn't doing well in terms of preparation and playtesting. I just, I just really put a lot of pressure on myself to do well. And I think I played my matches uh, as best as I could, but it was just sometimes the the chips don't fall where they, where the cards don't fall where they may. So that was really the main thing. It's just my, <laughs> my, my inner the okay. thing that was going on in my head. So are you generally just a legacy player? Uh, yes. So I started playing competitively and with a group that was legacy. And I just sort of stuck to legacy because of a, a combination of, I like old cards and I don't have a lot of time to play magic every, every month. So it's just kind of, kind of stayed with me there okay and as a legacy player what was your testing like and what would you say to other legacy players who want to test for the one or two gps that come around every year i think the biggest thing is uh, quality over quantity so okay. in legacy you're not gonna you're not gonna be facing you're not gonna expect to face the same four or five decks um you just have to be able to understand your deck and how general matchups work. And so when what I would suggest is that, yes, you play against the tier one gauntlet decks in testing, but don't go overboard. Don't try to play, um, don't, don't try to grind 10 hours versus miracles or something like that. You know, just understand the matchups and discuss with your opponents and 
playtest partners what you should do in certain situations and try to practice against different categories of legacy decks because there's control decks, there's unfair decks, uh, combo decks, there's uh, grindy decks. Just try to play against a good sampling of each and don't expect that you know every deck that you're facing because you won't be able to predict that. That's, that's the advice I would give. Okay. And was that, is that advice coming from your flawed testing? Is, I mean, what kind of flaws did you find in your own testing and your own experience leading up to this event? I think for that, uh, leading up to this event specifically, I, and what I, what I just told you is sort of how I, how, I, how I developed it over time a little bit later. But okay. at the time, I was really just grinding a lot of games with people, and I was testing very specific matchups. And also, I wasn't really testing as seriously as I could have in terms of I didn't find the strongest opponents to play test with. It was more like, it, it was like you know, one guy that happened to be a friend and he was at the store and he's had three or four legacy decks. Let's try to run through them together. I think rather I should have tried to find higher quality playtest partners. Like no offense to to that partner, but you know, just play against <laughs> people who really understand uh, that deck. I realize I didn't even call them all by name, but you know, it's just <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be Canadian nice and you know <laughs> and just you know, like just basically play against people who are who are uh, competent and understand the matchups and don't and, and stick to that and and don't try to play against every permutation of deck possible because it just it's just not possible. So. I have a quick question, James. How, how many games would you say is a reasonable sample for a given <laughs> matchup? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. I would say <laughs> not games, matches, matches, <laughs> right? Best of threes. Uh, let me think. Given the limited time you have for testing a upcoming GP and giving, given the fact that there's just a lot of matchups that you have to test, so what, how many matches would you be satisfied with, with having under your belt heading into a GP for a given match? I would, I would be satisfied with testing five matches ah, against other decks. Five? Yeah. I think that guys. would allow me to get some conclusions, and then I would go through the gauntlet <laughs> of like, okay, let's do five each of these, and then if we have more time, then we can we can add on as as needed. I like it. I like it. All right. You like that, Dozer? That's good air. That's good air. <laughs> they were giving me shit last week because my I test modern and <laughs> my spreadsheet includes ten. Like I have a couple matchups that have ten different matches. <laughs> 10 matches against a certain archetype. So they were like, oh, that's not enough. Which I agree in some respects. You can't absolutely say things, but it gives you, like you said, it gives you an idea. Anyway. Well, yeah, no, I mean, in, in modern, I don't, I'm not super familiar with modern, but I mean, are there, are there, are there just, is there also a huge representation of tier one decks in modern? Uh, like how many decks are testing against? I have, like, on my spreadsheet, I have about 70 different archetypes. And there, some Ooh, of them wee. are variations okay. on archetypes. So, and I definitely understand yeah. that. You know, there's there's different kinds of zoo decks, for example, or whatever. Uh, you know, Burn has, you can play Mardu, or you can play, uh, you can play Naya, or whatever, but. It, it's very similar to Legacy, only there are probably fewer obscure cards in modern than there are in legacy whereas you know in legacy you could get hit by a 
by a stronghold gambit, for example. That's one of my favorite random sideboard cards that's used in legacy decks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I feel like I'm talking to some real. I mean, I listen to you guys the show obviously fairly regularly, but now I really feel like I'm the presence of some real grinders. Oh, <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm sorry, you really feel that finish way. second at a Grand Prix in a luck based format, but <laughs> <laughs> no. See, like I, I think that I, I have to apologize. I know that you made your book available to us, and honestly, KYT put the email out like, "Hey guys, you should read this." And three I'm days in the middle ago. of yeah, and I'm in the middle of like a crazy, like I just had my first two days off after a 14 day, 12 hour day strip. Like I've just been crazy nonstop working, so I didn't get a chance to read it. But I got, you know, like the 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 cliff notes. Like this is what the book's about, and it sounds like trying to understand work-life balance, game-life balance, what this game means, how it can be like an addiction and all those types of aspects. And that's where, you know, you talk about being in the presence of grinders. I wish I could be a grinder, and I don't know how healthy that is. Like, that's where I'm at, is that I wish I could play the game more, and I want to play the game more, but I just am not playing the game more. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's where, like, you're... Or your comment is actually incorrect because I just don't play the game as much as I would like to. I try to find with my two days off, I went and played in a PPTQ. So again, I don't know how healthy that is, but you know, that's just what it is. That's that's what my life is these days. So Right. And me, no. I just I just have played Magic for almost tw- for like twenty one years or something. And I know a, a lot of cards. And there are very few magic cards I have not seen. And I've played all sorts of formats. So depending on Well, I know a lot of cards. I do. I do. I know a lot of cards. I'm best friends with a lot of cards. <laughs> it's true. No, right? I think that's awesome, right? Because I what you just said reminded me of uh I, I was recently talking to uh, Jarvis Yu. And he was telling me about his legacy preparation because I'm a big legacy fan. So I was talking about his, his Grand Prix Seattle win and he recently just top-aided um, Columbus, which is awesome. Um, and I asked him, you know, like, how do you prepare for legacy? Because he's a high-level grinder. And, and so yeah. he basically said, well, I don't have to prepare for legacy in terms of I, I don't have to grind, every, you know, for several hours. But he's got a lot of muscle memory already from playing different cards already over the years and he says people like paulo is the same he can pick up miracles one week before the event and do fairly well with it because they're just they just understand the game already at a at a high level and i would expect that for you having played 20 years competitively like there's just some things that you just know innately right so uh, i'm glad to hear yeah. that he's not there yet though he's not he's, he's asking yeah, that's, us well, that's yeah that's for everybody, right? Like that's that's like all of us. So, talk a little bit about achieving your work-life balance. Kind of give us the the overarching. You so post New Jersey, you hit rock bottom, uh, and you realized a lot of things that aren't so pretty about this sort of grinder lifestyle or magic events in general. How did you respond to that? Yeah, so after New Jersey, I really sat down and thought about it. And I, I tried to write about it initially as a way to vent, but over the process of writing, I, I, I figured some things out. I just realized that I was 
having the wrong mental approach. I think my expectations were not correct because I don't, I wasn't actually playing magic a lot and it's incredibly foolish to not prepare and plan and practice a lot and still expect to do well. I know it sounds silly, but I just put myself in that kind of headspace. And so after the, the, the experience, I just tried to generalize a set of lessons for myself, which I, I wrote about, which is um, have the right mindset and really just try to try to be honest with yourself. Like, you know, if, if you're trying to win, don't play a hipster deck. Like, just play the best deck and try to do quality practice. Uh, and, and basically just try to, try to approach the game realistically. Like, you have to think about, you know, your input versus output and, 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 and being honest with yourself around it. So that's kind of how I ended up afterwards feeling a little bit better and to the point where I still play because... At that time, I really thought, you know, this game sucks and I, I don't want to play it anymore. And it was, it, but it was just because of the way I built it up. And so I, I, I try to, in the book, generalize some of the lessons, experiences that I had in a way that can hopefully apply to people who are just competitive anything. Because I, I realized from talking to friends and other people that it's not just magic, but it can be anything you're competitive at, whether it's chess or, um, I don't know, watching more TV than the other guy. Like, <laughs> you, you, you just have to, there's just certain things you have to understand about yourself and everybody's different, but you have to have the right expectation and mindset. So that's kind of, that's kind of been my experience. Yeah, I've actually noticed that it's, I think it even transcends competitiveness. I think it's a comfort thing. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I mean, having discovered magic at a very young age, I discovered magic at 11 or 12, and I think you, you mentioned 13 or 14, right? Uh, yeah, about, about 11 and 12, 12, 13 for me, yeah. Okay, I, there's a certain level of nostalgia, of comfort, of, you know, we, discovering magic as a kid or discovering anything as a kid, you pick up magic cards and they just, they just feel good. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but I noticed that there's a lot of, a lot of, I, I wouldn't, maybe it's even immaturity in, in the way that some magic players like myself have approached the game um do you have any idea any thoughts on that so yeah i mean the uh the the childhood nostalgia definitely plays a part for me too that's kind of why i started playing legacy was to play the old cards and even now i still have these times where when i'm not playing in in a tournament i i still just go through my collection and just go through my cards and take a look at them once in a while it's sort of sort of a relief sometimes just to just to actually the the feeling of the cards i oh man that sounds so weird to say it but it's just like yeah i have a connection with the cards and and that's definitely why i still play magic so do you feel like that aspect of it was part of the reason why you went too far deep into that rabbit hole i think so and it was also the fact that i had continued to play in tournaments even though i wasn't playing super regularly I felt like this was one of my competitive outlets and I've always been sort of a competitive person. I dabbled a little bit in online poker. I did play basketball still, but I've always enjoyed playing card games competitively since I was a kid. And so it's just something that's always just stayed with me. I enjoy the social aspect of sitting across from somebody and making small talk and trying to best the other person in this sort of 
competition. So it's just always been a part of my life for the past 10, 20 years off and on. Cool. And were you into any sort of competitive endeavors when you were a kid? I know like KYT, for example, was into chess. I don't know if you did anything else other than that. Yeah, I was really big into some of the other card games. Like I was really big into Star Wars CCG in my last few years of high school. Uh, the one by Decipher, not the one yeah. later by Wizards. I was huge into that. I played a lot of recreational basketball. And for a while, I was also really into video games like StarCraft, the original one, and Street Fighter, the Street Fighter series. So I, I didn't actually go to tournaments for those, but I always enjoyed playing with friends and my brother and being really serious about it when we played. Okay. And how did that relationship end up? Uh, with my brother and I? No, no, no. The relationship that you alluded to when you mentioned that you went. Instead of going to Thailand, you went to New Jersey. I'm I'm just curious about how that, how magic and how competitiveness and how all that stuff affected that relationship. Oh, we're actually still together. So that's been a okay. Really, that's good. <laughs> it's been a really positive <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, to be honest, I sort of internalized a lot of my frustrations and towards the game. She didn't actually feel it was that bad because she knew that this was. I told like she could feel that this, even though she didn't understand magic or competitive magic she understood that this was something that was important to me at the time and so she understood my reasons for wanting to go um in fact that was another thing for me too is that i sort of that's another thing about expectations i built this up because i i said to myself i would be forfeiting some personal time with her to do this and so it made the um the, the desire to do well even stronger because i was skipping out on something else but for her actually it's been she sees this as just a hobby that I have, and I've been able to control it fairly well, I think, over the years, or at least internalize it. So it hasn't really had a, re had a damaging impact on our relationship. That's good. That's really good. I don't know. I, I, I take mine home a little bit with me. I actually, I have a, a tough time playing long tournaments. Like a PPTQ I get home from, and I'm just like, I've got like the worst headache possible, and... I just, I get so tense and so stressed and everything like that. So when I get home, I'm just like so useless and it's hard because like, you know, you want to be there, like to tuck the little one in and hang out with the wife and everything like that. When in reality, I just get home and it's just like, I just want to go to sleep. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's great that you mentioned that because I also feel the same way when I have a long day of playing, playing magic. Sometimes I even tell her like, uh, I'm going to be pretty tired today coming back so you know let's just do our own thing today because even though i'm only playing for five six hours i'll be really focused and uh you know the phone's going to be on on silent and things like that and when i come back i just need some time to to rest i in fact i think just this sunday i was playing and i was really i was trying to play in a qualifier for a local chinese legacy tournament and when i Whoa. came back i was just really i was just really uh out of it and i just ended up like falling asleep on the couch at at 10 p.m. because I, I I focus pretty pretty hard by my standards, so you know that kind of thing. So I can totally relate to that. And in current events, how how do you feel about Eternal Masters? Are you excited about it? Because uh, I, I I'm not the target audience for that sort of product, but as a legacy player, I want your opinion. Yeah, I I I can kind of answer in two ways. 
first of all, I'm not really <laughs> the target audience either because I have most of the the staples. I'm also a huge connoisseur of German pimp, and they never they an original pack foil, so they never printed okay. that. They're not printing that stuff in the language, or and they're also not original um, cards. So. For me personally, I don't feel much of an impact there. I probably won't be getting much of anything. Um, but I think in general for Legacy, it's a great thing. There's some things that didn't, they didn't reprint, like ports, uh, Richardson ports for online and paper. And I think that's going to have, I hope that's something they'll end up doing. But I think in terms of getting people interested, it's great. I mean, I, I could probably go on a rant about the reserve list. I won't do that here. But um, it's it only partially addresses the availability situation, but if anything else, it gets people excited about the format. And uh, Aaron Forsyth has said there's not going to be a no reserve list format, so people will probably buy in. And they, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get some new players, no matter where you are in the world. So I think that's that's really cool. Okay. How do you feel about the reserve list? I want to know. I feel like the reserve list should be abolished. I feel like it's a relic of the past, and I have no desire for the cards that I own on the reserve list to go up even more in value. I just want to be able to play the game and play with people that I and get more more new blood into the format of Legacy. Uh, so I would prefer that they just abolish it. That would be my view. Okay. And can you talk about some of the magic, magic writers that inspired you? I'm curious because I have read Jamie Wakefield's book, and I read Titus Chalk's book. Yeah. And had I had more time this week, because I like Jeremy, were also worked a very very long week this week, mm -hmm. and he was like three days ago. Hey, we're gonna have him on the show. I was like, all right. Man, I sent this two weeks ago. You sent out the <laughs> book two weeks ago, but you didn't send out like it was just like I said we're gonna have this guy on anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. First of all, like uh, Jamie and Titus, I enjoy their writing as well a lot. Okay. I try to read a lot of magic stuff in general, just whenever I have time. But I would say the person that's had the biggest influence on me and who is now a, a friend of mine after I reached out is CML. Okay. Um, Chris Morris Lent. He wrote the, the article about winning um, Magic Wall on Shrooms. Which was I an, really... an insane article. <laughs> It, it was insane, and it was so awesome. And I also read another thing of his on his blog called Why the Pro Tour Sucks. Yep, that's another seminal piece. And I just, I just enjoyed it a lot because I felt like a lot of the magic writing and discourse has been around, oh, magic is such a great game. You should go around the world and see the world play magic. And there's this sort of corporate-driven thing about, like, let's sell the game, make it super hyped, and, you know, this is a great quote-unquote esport and there's all these kind of great things about the strategy and the game and the community itself which i enjoy but when i first read cml stuff i realized that and and i'm not a super established writer i just enjoy writing and blogging before i started writing the book i realized hey it's okay to talk about magic in this kind of way where with a kind of self-critical tongue-in-cheek way and i think his writing really inspired me to kind of do my thing so Okay, sweet. Yeah, I was curious because I, I do agree with you in your statement that I, I think that there's just a, a magic writing as a whole has gone very far away from where it used to be in terms of the culture, in terms of writing about culture, because everybody wants to know about the new deck 
or sideboard cards or what this pro thinks of that card. And we're losing our John Rizzo's and our writer like CML or you, you know, where you're not talking about strategy. You're talking about very, you know, you're having very blunt conversations about why magic sucks or why it's awesome or how it is different in other ways from other cultures and how magic affects your life in different ways. And that kind of transcends the cards. And uh, yeah, I definitely, I don't know if you have seen the same sort of trend away from culture writers or not. I think so. Uh, I also want to mention that there was another writer and he's no longer writing for channel fireball, but I really enjoy some of the stuff he's done in the past. Um, Travis Wu, because uh, a few years back, he was writing stuff about how, you know, don't apologize about loving magic. And I think that really changed my mindset, too, where I wanted to even write about magic in the first place, because to a lot of my friends, they still don't understand, like, why are you playing this card game? And why are you so invested in it emotionally? And, you know, I I was telling my coworkers at the time, I'm going to New Jersey to play. And they're like, are you going to win? Is this the World Series of Poker? Are you going to be able to win lots of money if you do it? And <laughs> yeah. I said, no, there's no money in Magic. And and then I had to have, like, kind of confront myself and them about that as well. But um, I, even though even though Travis is sort of a, uh, a misunderstood, I would say, figure now, I think a lot of his writing really impacted me too, where it's like, you know, you, know, you can enjoy Magic and not be apologetic uh about it so that's another one i want to say yeah i'm not a big fan of travis's stuff but i have to agree with you that is actually the most positive message that i think i got out of watching his stream or reading his articles and stuff like that i remember on one of his streams he used to just go on about don't be apologetic be incredulous when somebody tries to make fun of you you know like if they sit there and try and make fun of you play magic just look at them like they're they got two heads because the best game available like why, why would why would you be making fun of me why why should i feel bad about this yeah and and i don't know i haven't really quite followed like the magic competitive uh writing as you guys may have over the past 10 20 years because i had lapses but the, another big influence on me was just grantland because like the, the grantland okay. website yeah. that simmons was running now i guess it's the ringer but um it made me realize that hey it's okay to talk about different cultural things together like you can talk about sports and talk about magic and talk about different subjects like movies and what you're watching and what what's going on in your personal life i feel like a lot of magic writing still continues to be very insular and very much in a vacuum and so i wanted to do writing that i mean don't get me wrong i'm not as good as any of these guys that i just mentioned but i wanted to do my own thing where i was talking about the the personal mental aspects of playing the game so I actually, I'm really appreciative of writing that is like this. I find I don't read a lot of tournament stuff. That's not this. Those aren't the pieces that catch my eye. And I don't read a whole volume of magic articles, but when I do, I definitely sought out CML. Uh, I definitely read those two pieces. I don't know what some other like i'm playing four color rights right now and i don't know what some other pro has written about four color rights and standard but i remember those other articles and uh yeah i definitely in grantland as well i came to grantland fairly late so uh, i'm excited to explore their archives and uh, really get a feel for their sports writing and well one of the a question for you earlier 
So being a legacy hip, you talk about being a legacy hipster. As as someone who plays a format in which literally the top 32 can be 31 different decks and any particular deck can win any particular tournament on any particular day, how have you kind of defined these hipster decks that you don't want to play? And what are those decks that you... Let me put it this way. Like, there are still, even though there are a lot of, uh, there could be, you know, top eight could have eight different decks. That's, that's a fact. There are still pillars of the format, cards that basically define uh, the power and the, 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 power, the, the power value, the power level of the decks, like Force of Will, like Lion's Eye Diamond, like Wasteland. There, there are certain pillars of the format that exist. So when I talk about hipster decks, I'm talking about, you know, no offense to, <laughs> to, to Matt Pavlik, my good friend, but I was running his, his brew like Siege Rhinos in Legacy for a while. It didn't have, <laughs> you know, it was like Nick Fit. I was running that. Or I was, um, or maybe just having a hipster mentality, maybe not so much the decks themselves, but I wasn't willing to play the same deck week in and week out. I wanted to keep switching because I had this boredom with just playing the same deck and as a result of that i never leveled up in terms of just really understanding a particular deck i i think if i really stuck with nick fit for six months to a year i could do fairly well with it but i never really did that i wanted to play the deck that was non-conventional because i felt like i could get an edge uh this is also a mistaken belief i felt like i could get an edge because i my opponents wouldn't know what wouldn't know what to do against me or something misguided like that so when I say hipster, it's more like a mindset, not saying any specific deck, because okay. the truth is anyone can win with any deck. So, Okay. Um, James, you mentioned like legacy, legacy all the time, and you mentioned being competitive, and a question that I really wanted to jump out and ask uh, you when I was listening to, to the Leaving a Legacy podcast was, being a competitive player, uh, why legacy? Did the Pro Tour have any allure to you at all? No, I think my goals were really just to do well in Grand Prix events. I don't have any pretensions about trying to get to the spotlight of the Pro Tour or anything like that. I mean, I I just really wanted to play competitively in situations and in tournaments I went to be fairly competitive in those. The reason why I really I stuck to Legacy was just because it like I said I didn't have uh, a lot of free time so I didn't want to keep learning new cards and rotations. And also, I happened to fall in with a group of players back in Canada who really enjoyed playing Legacy. So that's sort of, sort of the, the combination of factors. But to answer your question, I don't really have any dreams of playing in the Pro Tour. I think just to even top eight a, a Grand Prix would be, would be amazing enough for me. So uh, That's really interesting. That's really interesting. I'm just comparing you and me in, in some different ways. Um, like obviously, as from for me, it was built up from maybe my background in chess, as Matt mentioned, where I wanted to like sort of build up from being, let's say, the regional champion to being the best in Quebec, to being the best in Canada, to be the best in the world. And to me, that's where that huge, crazy competitive side of me played out, which is I wanted not just to be the at one point, I wanted to be the best player in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where my a lot of my competitiveness comes from. But you're telling me just uh, to be 
competitive in a given tournament um just to play just to be able to compete at these different tournaments is enough for you yeah i've sort of evolved my my attitude because i feel like now i'm very much about trying to be in the moment and so as long as in the moment in that tournament or in that round or in that match i i do the best i can i commit little mistakes few mistakes and i give it a good go and i prepare for it in advance i feel like that's good enough the thing about me is that i never was the best competitively at all the sports or all the activities i did in the past so you know when i played star wars i might have uh gone to regionals in canada at the time uh and did fairly well there but i never for magic specifically i realized that you know there are people like such as yourself who have been doing this for 10 20 years competitively and so it's very hard to climb that mountain uh it's very hard to uh, there's no replacement for 10,000 hours, right? Or for practice. And so I could do that, but it's more of a function of like, do I want to do that? And I think at this point in my life right now, I feel that I'm comfortable with who I am and just being in the moment rather than trying to grind to level up to maybe a level that you might be at, which is a much higher level than, than me. So, As someone who's played a lot of competitive magic, one of the things that always interests me is this whole idea of, um, whoa. I'll, I'll just throw something out there and get, I'm curious about your thoughts. So it's, it's been said that, uh, good at legacy, bad at magic. <laughs> what do you, how do you respond to that sort of sentiment? <laughs> All right. Uh, I feel like there's, there's some truth in that because there are a lot of legacy grinders who are very elitist about legacy. They feel like it's the, quote-unquote best format they don't want to play other formats but the fact is like what i just said about jarvis and paulo from hearing it from them you just get better at magic by playing magic and playing all the formats so there are things in legacy that you really can benefit from if you play a lot of limited if you if you do a lot of formats where combat is more of a thing um and so i i can't say that legacy players are bad magic players but I think people are putting themselves in a tunnel vision if they only play Legacy and they want to do the best they can in Legacy and maybe be at a top AGP slash Pro Tour level. So that that would be my answer. Okay. That was a good one. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Um, I think it's also just by playing... What happens with these legacy, uh, at least this is my opinion, uh, James, and you can correct me, is these guys tend to just play with the same, same group of people. And because of that, you don't have that diversity of skills that you're testing yourself against. And if you're always playing against the same type of people, then you're not really improving as much as you would in, in, by playing a lot of different tournaments. Yeah, uh, I fully agree with you there because Legacy, by definition, is more of a niche format. And so you're going to end up playing with the same group of people unless you really challenge yourself. So if I were to go back in time, like five to 10 years, and I really wanted to be more competitive with Magic, I would definitely not just play Legacy. I would get into Standard, I would get into Extended, get into Limited, um, because that's a way to get exposure to the most amount of players and any kind of game, right? You're playing pickup hoops. You don't want to play against the same three guys you're playing poker you don't want to play against just your brother um i i think that i fully agree with that statement so so I, it's awesome that uh 
So what happened is you, you had this uh, bottom moment, then you, from what I understand, you wrote a blog post, got a lot of positive feedback, decided to turn it into book, into a book form, and then have people read about your story and learn the lessons that you were able to gain from your personal experience. And would you say you're, you're happy at, at this current moment with the balance of things or you're still figuring things out? I would say that I'm super happy with how things turned out right now. I, the, the book was just really therapeutic for me, just, just writing it, like just working through some of the things. Uh, I'm somebody who's not great at telling a story live, but I, I like to go back and iterate. Uh, it might also be my software background. I, I like to go back and, and tweak things and think about what's the best <laughs> way to, to say this and deliver this message. Uh, and so I think writing the book has been, it's been a super net positive for me. And now I just, I, I still play magic. I mean, that's, I think that's testament that I didn't quit out of disgust because that's kind of how I felt when I started writing it as, as blog, as blog posts. Um, <laughs> it was like, this is going to be my final I mean, chapter. I fucking hate magic. I'm going to quit after this. <laughs> I actually wrote an intro in my blog post initially, which is like, I'm not going to fire shots at everything and everyone. I, this will be the last thing I ever write on magic. Uh, you know, I'm out after this, but I think after through writing it and getting feedback, I got a lot of, um, advice from other people and encouragement that, that not only made me want to turn it into something more full length, but helped me think about the game differently in my own expectation management and, and just realizing from feedback that, Hey, a lot of people go through this cause I was writing about it, but I, I realized that people, like my friends and I were talking about this kind of stuff, but it wasn't really written down so much. And and getting feedback from strangers who didn't even know me, who said, "Hey, I really connected with this. What you're writing, I can relate to some of the experiences." Sort of gave me the the positive motivation to keep going. So that's awesome. Um, also, like, it, it's awesome to have you on our show. I don't know how long you've been listening to. But I find it there's there's always I feel I'm not sure if irony is the, the word I'm looking for is that we've gone through many transitions, many different members of the A team. And at some point we've had like a balance episode. And usually what happened like for the three people who are no longer who are no longer part of the A team, it's it was due to a lack of balance. And for them, for the most part, they're no longer as active in the game as you are right now. So I'm glad for you that you were, you were able to still find that balance and keep that in check. Uh, would you say that your previous members, as I, I heard some of the podcasts, like for example, with uh, Medina, which is a more of a special example, but like for right, the other right. guys, uh, was it, was it just burnout? Would you define that as burnout from the game? I, I would think so. Uh, Scotty, uh, I think alluded to him just putting too much of himself in the game where he, was streaming multiple uh, days in a week and was just like investing heavily into the game, into his, his brand uh, in the game. So I think, I think there, it was a lot of burnout. Definitely. I mean, I could tell you from my own person, I mean, from my own personal experience, what I'm literally experiencing right now is this, the, and I just, I talked about it last week and that, when you really think about magic, when I'm, when I personally am really into it, it kind of deadens 
everything else around me where I just don't have the same passion for the other things that I used to have passion for. So art becomes less of an interest and learning kind of just in general where I'm honed in on this, on magic. And uh, sometimes I have to step back and I have to go, what am I, what am I doing? What is this? What does this even mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you experience the same sort of deadening, uh, or maybe that's how mono focus, you know, hyper focusing works, uh, or something. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have the focus. I know that for me, I can relate to what you just said because I have an addictive personality, and so there are certain things now, like like. Uh, Hearthstone and World of Warcraft, I just will never touch because I know I'll get knee deep into it. Um, I know knowing <laughs> yourself is half the battle, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. So I, I I feel like it's not a bad thing to be focused about what you like, and I think the definition of focus is that you have to exclude other things uh, that are going on. Um, so I've I've definitely felt that deadening as as well, and it still comes back to me. Because I'll get excited about, you know, like, hey, I'm talking to you guys here on the on the podcast or I'm I'm working on something writing or book wise and and you know, I have a day job too. So it's uh, it it you know, relationships and things like that. So I, I can't say I've quite figured it out too, but I think I just sort of mellowed out a little bit with age and just kind of stepping back and saying, Look, James, you're doing this again. And, uh, you know, you just have to <laughs> slap yourself sometimes or, or I have to slap myself sometimes to, to, to realize that's happening and you have to take a step back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, Jared, Jared, any thoughts? On, what about you, my man? I don't know, man. Like it's, again, you know, it kind of right where I started off that it just, it's so difficult because you want to put out content. You want to kind of give back to the community. You want to do all these different things. You want to be better at magic. You want to do all this stuff. And I almost feel like my, my work-life balance has maybe gone too much to the work side. It's funny because, like, my wife came to me today and said, like, do we really need to look at maybe selling the house? And I'm blows my mind. We just moved into this house. You know, like, this was going to be our forever house. But she's looking at me and she's like, you're just working too hard. Like you, you, you have to put so much in in order to get through the day and you can't be who you want to be. So like, do we need to look at getting a smaller house and a smaller mortgage so that we can just not have to work so much and have more flexibility and maybe find something to do that I love? And I thought that was, you know, a really honest conversation. And I know that like, I always love to do things with this game and I wish I could do more with it and do all these different things. but. You know, at the same time, I look at myself and I say, like, maybe I could just be a better Jeremy. Like, is there a better (laughs) version of me out there that I could be that, like, I have a real tough time with things. Like, I forget. I'm very, very forgetful. I am very clumsy about things. I I have a really tough time focusing. Like, I I don't know. Maybe I got to see somebody. Maybe there's something not healthy. But, like, my memory is shot compared to what it used to be. So like there's there's different things where it's like you know I can see the other people in my life you know they they acknowledge the game uh, my wife's always been very supportive of the game uh, other times in my life I've been very addictive to other games like I I started off in Vanilla WoW and 
like that really, really took a number on my uh, relationship with my wife. Uh, we weren't married at that time. And, you know, if things had continued, we probably wouldn't be. Uh, but I was right into that. Right. And that was also part of like my thing is that one of the reasons why I was into it so much is because I wanted to be the guild leader for our group of people. So we had a hundred different people and I was trying to make sure that they had all the things that they needed and make sure that they had a good time. And, you know, I was putting too much of myself out there and it's, you know, it's much like the Scotty situation. Uh, I don't know if I was trying to build my yeah. brand, but I was just trying to make myself too available to it. And I wasn't making myself available to myself and making myself available to, uh, you know, my, my, my wife and my friends and, it was hilarious because, like, what's my favorite thing to do in WoW? I love to fish. <laughs> mm. Swear to fucking God, I would just sit there and I would do the fishing in WoW. Like, 300 fishing before anybody. I won the fishing competitions. Like, that was that was my thing. Like, Sunday morning, get up and go to Gazatran to fucking play in a fishing competition on WoW. Like, that was, that was my fucking thing. <laughs> oh, you're even in WoW, you're so old. I'm not old. I just, <laughs> I like to fish. It was, oh, fishing it was is calming great. and relaxing. And I had to do all the other bullshit in the game. So that would be like the place where I could sit back and I could do my fishing and I could listen to the fucking problems. And I could try yeah. and solve the problems, you know? And it, when it comes to magic, it's like, I, I just, I, I, I sit there and I practice for these different tournaments. But, you know, I'll go back and I'll play my little modern deck and I'll have a good time with it. And I'll go and do Friday Magic and go out for you know, some pizza afterwards and play with the guys and just little shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of like, I don't, I, I want to be more into it, but I just, I don't have enough me to be. <laughs> right. If I may, I, I don't know you half as well as uh, your co-hosts, but just from this conversation now, I just feel like you are the complete opposite of selfish, right? Because you are, oh, you're, no. you're not I am a very <laughs> selfish person. Really? Because when I hear about you like this. trying to help the guild or trying to, I mean, obviously it's to build your own brand, but you're also making people happier in some way, right? Through a game. So I don't think there can be anything wrong with that. Um, so yeah. put it out there. Um, there's a lot of things that I'll do just for myself. And when people are having fun around me, that makes me feel really good. Uh, perfect example, the way to describe this is, uh, I'll take my daughter out to like one of these big in ground, uh, indoor parks and stuff like that. And one of the things that I see in my daughter that I, I most recognize in myself is that she'll go down the slide. And she, when she hits the bottom, she isn't the kid who's sprinting around to go up the stairs to go down the slide again. She's the kid who turns around at the bottom and is clapping for the other kids to go down the slide. Like she nice. gets so much pleasure out of watching the other kids go down the slide and she encourages them to go down the slide. And she encourages them to go with her, like to be part of this slide team. Mm-hmm. And like, that's her big thing. And if she wasn't having fun with it, she would be the first person to lead that team also. So that's where I kind of see this stuff is that like, I like to make sure that everybody around me is having a good time because I just hate it when people are in a bad mood. I hate it when people like, I'm maybe ultra codependent that way that I want to make sure that everybody's just cool. And everybody is in a good spot. And I don't like to go and cause confrontation if I can help it. But I just want to make sure that everyone's like really positive. And it's like last episode, Jay's going on about how he has like the shittiest people to cube with. And it's like, well, I don't feel any good about that. Like, 
come on, Jay, like, you got to be able to do something with it. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to start a fight with him over it. I just kind of want to tell him he's being dumb and move on, you know? And, and like, that was the thing with, with the GP, you know, I'm the type of guy who I can sit there and I can, I can bird dog people at the GP. And if nobody I knew was in at the tournament, I wouldn't watch it. But like when we were at GP Toronto and everybody's like, oh, we should go do this, go do that. Like I was having the greatest time in the world, just sweating it out with Potter to see if he was going to squeak into the top eight because like, he's my buddy. And like, I get a lot of pleasure out of watching him do his thing. But as soon as he got into the top eight and everything was done, I was like, okay, I, you know, like I, I was, <laughs> you know, like I, I was there to absorb his joy. And then I just fucked up, you know, like, yeah. So yeah. I think we all have that part of us, but uh, you know, you were a judge and uh to me, like all judges have this, um, I just respect anyone who takes judging seriously because they're taking probably shitty compensation in exchange for making sure that the game is enjoyed by a large number of people usually. And uh, yeah, to me, I don't know. To me, you don't come across as a as a hundred percent selfish person in any way, Jared. So um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Like I'm just. I'm not fucking rainbows and butterflies. That's that's for certain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to you, uh, your book, James. I know that it was a challenge for, for you to uh, see how this might be perceived because I think the reason why that we don't see a lot of these type of articles, we see more deck tech stuff and, and stuff like that, is uh, because some stores, at least their intention of with some of these articles is to subconsciously i get well not subconsciously but really encourage people to buy cards or buy this hot new deck mm -hmm. and uh any story that's sort of like hmm like especially i guess your initial draft where you're telling the game to fuck off obviously <laughs> that tone is not going to be uh uh well received by like no card store is ever going to publish something like that yep. but i think that uh it's a story that your experiences and your lessons are and you can hear it through the three of us, uh, parts of it. We've encountered this challenge of, of balance in our life, and I think uh, your book is uh, definitely a good read for, for any Magic player who, um, any Magic player, period, uh, to be able to take lessons from it and apply it into their own relationship uh, with the game. Uh, like, for me, like, I have this, now that I work for a card store, I have this responsibility to, you know, put more of myself, put more content and promote the game even more. And it's not like, hey, hey, you should. It's like part of my motivation is like buy all the all the fucking cards. It's not like, <laughs> oh, take it easy, guys. Take it easy. You might get addicted. Um, so it's funny. But for me, um, I know that competitively I've slowed down a crap ton this last year. And it was mainly because I was no longer obsessed with the idea of being the best um i was just happy to be able to just prove it to myself that i was good enough and that was it and uh that's why my competitive drive sort of really died down and i'm in a very happy place myself um but anyways um where could people get this book james uh, they can find it on Amazon. So it's available on Amazon. If you just search for Magic the Addiction, you should be able to find it. It's available in both paperback as well as Kindle. Do you have an audiobook version of it? 
you know, I would love to do that. I've actually thought about it because I, I recently launched a, a very amateurish podcast and I was thinking of also uh, doing a few episodes where I would do audio excerpts from the book. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely do that at some point, I think, because I think audiobook is kind of uh, in, in many ways the future. For, for I love audiobooks. That's that's the way I, I consume books these days. <laughs> that, that's why I ask, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a reasons. lot of there's a lot of people out there, and so I, I think Audible and some of that stuff is pretty amazing. And so I would I would love to do that at at some point in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I give way too much money to Audible. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have we'll have our man Kyle put all the show notes linking to to your book. Uh, to 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 get the book in their hands um but how how else can people find you and, and contact you uh i think the best way is just twitter so uh james shu uh james underscore h s u it's the that's my twitter handle that's probably the best way um i also have my contact details on my website which is uh www.writtenbyjames.com written by james uh so those are probably the two best ways are there more projects on the horizon? Yeah, I've just really been, um, I've been really into the idea of doing podcasts and you guys are the pros, uh, you know, so I, I'm just getting started. <laughs> uh, I probably have a lot to, I want to ask you guys and learn as well. But um, I recently started this podcast called Humans of Magic, which is, which is, I just got started, but I basically interview magic players about their lives. Basically, mm -hmm. You know, I, the book was me talking about my own experiences. I've had enough of t talking about myself. I want to try to apply that same framework to others. So, for example, when I talked to Jarvis Yu in the first episode, we were talking not just about what deck he played that weekend or whatever, but we were talking about his personal life, how he grew up in Maryland, how he got into competitive magic. That's the stuff that I'm really, really passionate about. It's just like learning from other people and doing interviews with them and trying to get better as an interviewer. And so that's really been, that's really my focus right now outside of work is this podcast called Humans of Magic. Hmm. Sounds like a lot like Across the Table. I like it. <laughs> Sweet, we're gonna, What's Across the we're, Table? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to link to that stuff for you, James, and uh, support no, your Seriously, stuff. what's Across the Table? It was uh, my interview podcast. Inter you did that? Oh, that was yeah. you? That was me. Oh, come on, oh, Jan. Come on! <laughs> oh. Oh. I'm not. I'm not BSing you. I've heard other people tell me that my podcast is like across the table, and also. Are you kidding Marsh me? Really? Yeah, yeah. Somebody told me that. I'm not joking. Somebody wow. said that you should check out Across the Table. It's now defunct, but you should check it out for the style, just as a reference. And also, Marshall Sutcliffe did this uh, one for one series maybe yeah, a year yeah. ago that he discontinued, um, or he said he's putting on hiatus because he's focusing on the other stuff. But uh, I, I definitely need to go back and check out some of the episodes you did just to get some, uh, some inspiration. So. Yeah, yeah. If you ever need advice on how to like, make it work, because one of the problems I ran into was it's defunct because the quality that I wanted was so high, and it's hard to do if you're constantly... like Maybe make it bi-weekly. would be my... Try making it bi-weekly just to save yourself some headache and to make sure that you're doing it consistently. Or, or don't be a perfectionist like Dozer. <laughs> uh, that, that too, but uh, just, you know, if you, oh. if you don't overload yourself. When you, when you say try to do it bi-weekly, 
did you mean that you originally wanted it to be a weekly thing or a really super regular thing? Yeah, yeah. So my goal was to make a an NPR level quality podcast, interview podcast that was weekly. And there were some months where I was able to do it, but other otherwise the the workload was so high. I mean, I was spending probably twenty hours a week on it, uh, if yeah. not more, just because the editing, the recording, the contacting interviewers, the setting up the conversations, and all that stuff. So. I see. Uh, wow. I mean, that's uh, to to aspire to be like NPR quality. That's that's pretty pretty good. It's good to shoot for that goal. But I can I can I can understand how that might be might be challenging in a lot of ways, yeah. and even some ways outside of your control. So, well, thank you so much for coming on our show, James. It was awesome. Uh, thank you guys for having me again. Like I. I'm super grateful at the opportunity to get a chance to talk to you guys. I've listened to you guys for a while and to get a chance to, to be in the presence. <laughs> it's, oh, it's really good. I, I really, I, I hope I, I really mean that non ironically. Like I, I really enjoy talking to you guys. I'm glad that we talked to you guys did sharing about your own experiences. And I, I really hope that, you know, through writing and other things that we can um, have these kind of open conversations and continue to have them. So, so thank you. Yeah. No, no, thank you. It was yeah. it was awesome just talking to you. I agree with no you. No problem. Too. Anything yeah. we could do for a fellow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Really. Hey, Jay. Oh, wow. Jay uh, hey, I'm, I'm good. How are you, Jay? I'm all right. I'm sorry that I uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be here for for your great introduction to the to our listeners. Um, but I I was informed that you did really well, and I I hope that your book does really well as well. It sounds very interesting. Thank this you. is not the Jay that we sold him. We're like, <laughs> thank God you're here when Jay's away, because all he's going to do is talk shit about how we're trying to shill a book. And I remember the OMG episode, and he was just so fucking tuned out and salty during the show. <laughs> and it's like, not true bullshit. <laughs> it's probably just the Flores effect on Jay. <laughs> I think it was the Flores and selling a book effect. Yeah. Probably I think true. Jay, Jay, you'd recommend uh, another podcast series for James to research, right? You'd you'd recommend your favorite interview podcast, Men of Magic, right? Oh yeah, I think it's defunct now, but uh, it's for sure defunct. It's for sure also highest of quality. I uh, I'm not quite getting getting the reference. Is that something that you produced or? No, uh, no, Jay would never do anything to that level. That is way no. too much work for him. <laughs> that is, you're right, and it paid off for that guy. Sure. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta look this up. I gotta Google you're this. Gonna up. have to. You know, I mean, it's too good to pass up, really. I think it was the series at the time, um, but we just give him a lot. It's he's one of my friends, but we gave him a lot of shit because he asked the, the, one of the, the funniest. Best, the best question it's, ever is. Have you ever, ever regretted a draft pick? <laughs> <laughs> to which, of course, there's only one answer, and it is definitively no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Still <laughs> fucking time. That draft that I did alphabetical, I don't regret it for a second. No, not one. Thematic pants only? No. <laughs> Never regretted that. YOLO, as they say. That's right, you do. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what you believe. But I believe. <laughs> do you believe in YOLO? I do, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a fundamental system of my belief. <laughs> <laughs>
But yeah, I didn't mean to make your outro so long, so get the fuck out of here. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> good luck with everything, James. But yeah, good, good luck, man. Great show. Keep keep us uh, updated, and you know maybe in the future, definitely come back and give us give the fans an update on what's going on. <laughs> All right. I don't right. think I've ever said that to anyone else. Ever. Yeah, this is Jay. You you something's wrong wrong with you right now. I'm really worried about you. Did you have a stroke? Well, I did have to <laughs> Did you take a couple strokes? Oh, man, Jay. So, that what was, is happening? Was, I mean, he loved you, clearly. It yeah, sounded I, like. I felt bad that I didn't get to make the show. He'll come back once he's quit magic. (laughs) (laughs) So what's new with you, Jay? Um, not too much, really, I suppose. Um, I did an uh, an Eternal Masters draft on Saturday night. Oh, shit. Uh, Oh, my God. Let me tell you how terrible it was. Is it forty bucks? Fifty bucks? No, it was free because the guy wouldn't let us keep our card. He's like, oh, okay. oh he bought a box. Oh, and just yeah, like... well, because and it kind of makes sense. He's like, well, how bad am I gonna feel if I let you buy like fucking ten to fifteen dollar packs of modern, or I mean of Ema, and then you open like a foil, like a foil force, and like I'm not gonna feel good about that. That's gonna suck. And I was like, yeah, I mean that's that's fair. Like that would be the worst, but at the same time, like. There's ten cards that are worth the price of a pack in, in Eternal Masters, and there's like fucking eight hundred cards that are worth goddamn nothing in that set. Yeah. So I mean, really, like, can you really go wrong? But anyway, so he's like, yeah, I, I don't want to do that. So it was fine. Um, we didn't really open anything great. Like, there was a foil top opened and a regular top opened, and apparently those are worth lots of money somehow. Um. I opened uh, the Vampiric Tutor, which looks pretty cool in person. Like, the, the spoilers didn't really do it justice. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun, actually. I had I had way more fun playing that set than I ever had playing Modern Masters. It was so crazy. Like, I wanted... I was actually bummed out that we only had one box for the six of us. Um, whereas I never felt that a single time playing Modern Masters. I never wanted to play Modern Masters more than once. I didn't really like that format, which was interesting because they said like, "Oh, it's not a draft format, and we didn't make it to have synergies and and all this whatever." And then um, people were complaining what? about how I thought they totally made that for the no. Yeah. They, said, they said that the set wasn't designed to be drafted, and that because because what happened is when the full set was spoiled, somebody was like, "Why? Why are all the like like how come there's all these half synergies in this set?" And they said, well, we didn't really make it to be like a drafting draft that we did it to um, to kind of like kind of like what they said with Modern Masters to like get people into legacy and whatever. We didn't make it like as a draft, like a like a maybe that wasn't its highest priority. You know, that's that's what I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you, Jeremy. That is what I was trying to say is that they said it wasn't it wasn't a priority to make this set a drafted set. And so then a lot of people were, like, bummed out about that. And then they said it was mostly for, like, Cube. And then it was for, like, to get people into Vintage and stuff. And uh, and so, but then when we were drafting it, I found, like, it was it was fine. It felt a lot like a very powerful core set. So, like, there wasn't all these great synergies. Um, but there was enough that there was decks getting built and getting played and stuff. Like, there was, there was enough synergies that 
you know, it didn't feel like you were just playing a pile of random garbage, like, kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, we had a great time. I did the old, if you don't know what you're doing, just draft guys that turn sideways. Okay. Um, so I drafted just red-white, but it was yeah. really weird. The signals, the signals were really weird. Like, in at the start, there was lots of white and not a lot of red. And then, uh, so, like, there was, like, pacifisms going really late. I didn't see a single sword. Uh, but there was, I had like three pacifisms, which are really good in the set. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't get a single one of those after pack one, but in pack one, I got three of them. Um, and then I got two squadron hawks and I didn't see another one of those for the rest of the draft. And, but then, so then what happened is like pack one was all white coming my way and a little bit of red. And then pack two and three were all red. Like I almost could have played mono red if I had like a sulfuric vortex or something. Um, and then pack four was all white again. It was so bizarre because we did four packs instead of three because there's six of us and they didn't want to just have an extra pack, I guess. Um, which kind of made all the decks like a little bit more consistent and more powerful, but not really like no, nobody opened anything really bomby or anything. So it didn't really seem to make that big of a difference. I'm sure like, you know, somebody who's better at draft analysis than me could tell you that it, it did make a difference, but, um, yeah, I don't know. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I don't know. We had a, we just had a fun time. I didn't think my deck was that good. I was really lacking on removal, um, other than pacifism, but I was lacking on like hard removal. And there's a lot of things in this set that destroy enchantment, so I was really worried about that. But uh, it turned out that I was good enough to go three zero. Um, one thing that I noticed was like those fucking flag bearer guys or whatever are really really good. Okay. Uh, yep. Yep. They are. Like, it's weird that there's only one of them in the set, like, like, cause you like, but then I realized like it's not meant to be like a thematic thing. It's meant to like disrupt your opponent. So like I played against Enchantress, and the guy that played against him before me had one of them, and he couldn't beat that. There's no way he. Could <laughs> and then uh, I had two of them, so that worked out pretty well. Um, and then what else did I play against? I played against Elves, and the guy had Hyper Nut Elves. And he just, again, Elves doesn't really have a lot of great removal. So I was just able to kind of grind him out. Um, and it worked really well. And he kind of, he probably had draw issues too. Like he, he didn't, he didn't get the perfect. It's always hard to say like how good your deck is if you're playing against an opponent that isn't drawing perfectly. Like he wasn't getting flooded. They're not playing magic with you? Yeah, it's hard to like it's hard to gauge because like I wasn't playing great either, but I was getting better draws than he was. So it's hard to say like with confidence, like, Oh yeah, my deck was better. And then, uh, and then I played against the guy that was playing like black. I want to say black. What was he playing? Black, something black, white, black, red, maybe. But um, one thing that we did notice is like in this draft over the course of all four packs, like black was wide open. Like there was packs that had like four or five black cards in them. Uh, like still going around kind of thing, and and um, I guess it was kind of mentioned that um, like black was uh, like black is a support color for everything else. Somebody had mentioned before, so I guess like people were kind of going on that, and nobody really was picking it up. But it, like, and that's the kind of thing I was talking about with shadows last week, where like I've been told that about blue and shadows, but I always get hooked, like hooped into blue because everyone's like, it's bad, so they don't draft it. But I don't know that, so then I just end up 
being like, whoa, blue's wide open. I'll just go right into that. And then I just get fucking hosered. Um, so that kind of happened to the black guy. Like, he had, he was basically playing mono black, and he had every good black card. But the good black cards are still so much worse than the bad any other card. So that's okay, something okay. that... What's that? Nothing. We were just responding to what you said. We were acknowledging. Yes, acknowledge me. Was was the elf player you played against was it green black elves? Uh it I you know what I don't remember because he didn't get to play a whole lot of cards. Like even when he was playing <laughs> even when he had like like well he played like what I mean is just that he played the same cards in, in all the matchups. Like he didn't I didn't see a, a big variety of cards from him. Um I think he was actually five color elf. Like he was playing like five color yeah. green, I think. Huh. But you know what you can say in confidence? That you are 100% <laughs> against, against elves. Oh, five yeah. color elves. I'm undefeated against One out of one versus elves. Yeah. And I mean, and we smashed sound late. So I feel like you know, that's enough evidence to say that. <laughs> so no but, one had uh, any funky decks, Jay? Like, um, I, I left. Oh, you know what's funky? You know what is funky? Funky what? as shit. Is that there was five people in white? <laughs> yeah, that's like at the drafts that I saw. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, it's kind of weird to me that they would like. It, it, I feel like it's kind of a failing in the set now because one Absolutely. of the things that that I was excited about was that they very early on they said the Turtle Masters would be a draftable set. Now, well, my draftable, but not designed to draft. So yeah, well, they wanted to, be, yeah, they wanted it's to make like it. A, when they say like a hundred percent beef, but it's really only like the patty is made of sixty percent of the patty is beef, but a hundred percent of that. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. So part of part of my pro my my hope was with the set that they would make it all the other all the other way, where they would just be like. This is going to be a terrible set to draft, but it's going to be—you're just going to open up so much sweet stuff. Yeah, like I feel like they could have made it almost like a from the vault, or yeah, something, or like Anders Arsenal, and just made it like, but bigger. Instead of being like twelve cards, they could have made it like, like a hundred and a half. Yeah, 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 the like half card, you know. And it's like now it's like, why do you need pacifism? Yes, exactly. That sort of set, and like one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is like a cuber. What do you think of the whole, for example, having Animate Dead and World Gorger Dragon, but nothing to spend infinite mana on? Yeah, like, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I don't even know if you can get that combo off in, in draft. Like, I know it's there, but I don't know if there's any any way to use it beneficially. Like, well, yeah, yeah, that's fireball? I mean. Like, is no, there a fireball? There's, no, there's nothing, no way to use infinite mana. There's no expel. Literally nothing. There's Entomb, there's Animate Dead, and there's World Guard or Dragon. But there's literally there's nothing to do with it. That's see, that's yeah, and see, like that's yeah. kind of that's probably one of those synergies that somebody was talking about where they were like, "Hello, why would you fucking do this?" Yeah. And then Wizards was like, "Well, words." <laughs> I mean, I feel kind of a, I feel kind of silly when they're like, they used this whole. Not everything can be a bomb. And, like, for example, they didn't just fill the rare slot with just cards, valuable cards that needed to be reprinted. Right. They, they had Comet Storms, the, the equivalent of Comet Storms in this set. Like what? 
I mean, uh, I'm not challenging you. I'm just asking. For yeah. Well, there, there were, there were cards that were, I can't think of anything. They're, they're pretty inconsequential. I can't think yeah, of anything off the top like of my head, but you here. mentioned that like only 10 cards in the set were worth more than a pack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like what, the, what the hell? Like, why, why do that? That yeah, just seems, okay. just seems okay. really bad. Yeah. And like, and the thing is like, it's one of those things where they say like, oh, this is to increase the viability of whatever, right? Like they did it with Modern Masters too. And like, I mean, also not Modern Masters, the seconding, but like, and then we found time and time again that really it doesn't do what they're saying it's doing because they don't want to just oversaturate, right? But then it's like, well, what's the point of that? Like, I don't know. It just seems so, like, it just seems like, like, it's almost like, you know, when something is, when something is like, um, I want to say, like, it's trying to do two things at once. Yeah. You know, but it's not doing either of those things well. So instead of doing one thing good, it did two things poorly. Yeah. And that's what I feel like a lot of these master sets are kind of becoming is like, okay, yeah, like, you know, like, it was like a fun draft set but then you know who's gonna open the world gorger and think like great nobody okay cool so so you, and then you can do this interesting combo where you have world can, can world gorger attack uh yeah okay. but i mean like but they put it in there for the combo deck right they didn't just put it in there to be like shiv and dragon in the rare slot right yeah because then if they, they were, were they could have if they were going to do that they could have put any other dragon in there like they could have put one in like that uh, with Bear Umbra, the one that gives you infinite mana and infinite attacks. Or like oh, yeah. they could put the one in that when you attack, it, you can fucking fireball at least or something. Like they could have put like a better draft card in. But then they didn't want to put a better draft card in because it doesn't fit with the Eternal Masters theme because nobody plays fucking that yeah. threat in, in like any Eternal format. So then now they're kind of, their hands are tied because they're trying to design a set that makes you feel like you're playing Legacy or Vintage without actually but then they want you to draft that but they don't want to like they're still fighting against the the light of cube right kind of like when they fought against cdh for a long time i feel like though it's it's like it's actually like this like really cool situation because you're forcing the people who are rare drafting to just have subpar decks it's like you're gonna waste your first pick on this and you have to actually decide when do you want your deck to be better and when do you want to get the card that's in the set because they're trying to, you know, make that card yeah. available? Yeah, I guess I kind of can agree. Like, eh. I mean, I think this is still a situation where you take the money card every time. Like, if you're if you're playing like white, white, red, uh, like aggro, and you open a, a, like a fucking force of will or even like foil or non foil, I still think you take that card every time. Like, yeah, I was looking at some of the rares, man. Crater Hellion, Pyrocanus. Yeah, like, yeah, like the like, whole onslaught like block legend cycle. Yeah, I, like, one thing that Cherith in that. Yeah, what? Why don't they? I I'm frustrated, and maybe you guys have uh, opinions on this. Why don't they just uh, like liberalize their reprint policy? Like, why are they so? I don't understand why these need to be in this set. Why couldn't they be in standard? I understand their story characters, but so what? 
Sorry, I, I'm confused. So you're saying like instead of like if these needed to reprint so bad, why didn't they just reprint them in the next next set? You mean? Yeah. Or instead of, instead of filling like a premium product with them? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, how bad did you feel? Like Neil, my buddy, who, who let us gracefully let us do the draft. How bad does Neil feel when he spent three hundred and fifty fucking dollars and he got a crater hellion and two fucking Sensei's divining tops? Like zippity doo dah. And it's literally the lottery, right? Like somebody actually had a really astute yeah. today where they said, like, if your friends are the kind of people that are going to spend three hundred dollars on lottery tickets, you should tell them to shut the fuck up when they complain that they don't win. And it's like very, it's very true. Like nobody is drafting this set if it didn't have good cards in it. Like this is not this is not conspiracy, right? Nobody's draft like nobody's buying this set for the draft. Yeah, right? it's pretty funny. They were doing like a draft, and it was like a forty dollar draft, and the value was all good and everything like that. But it's like I really have no interest in drafting this thing. Like this is not something I'm excited about. I, I don't. I'm not excited about the set at all. Yeah, I is there just, a couple neat foils? Sure. I also think Watsy missed totally missed the opportunity because one of the things that they talk about, you know, it's just other than from the vaults, they have this whole thing where they, you know, they don't really want to print money. But well, they, they say they don't want to do that, but then in they every do, set, they want the set to sell, right? Correct. But, yeah. So one of the things like that's frustrating is it, is what it's like. They could have done that here. They could have done it with one set. This one Eternal Master set just to see what happens. But see, I think the problem with that is, is that not what they did with Chronicles? Like, no, because the there was the nothing whole, good in Chronicles. No, but isn't that the whole problem with Chronicles? Was that they... Well, they the problem with Chronicles was that it was overprinted. Yeah. Right. Overprinted and underdemanded. I see. I see. So, and, and, I mean, to, and to Eternal Masters, you have the same exact print run, but if you leave it if you just fill, just make every pack gas, just be like, all right, you're going to, you're going to get at least, you know, examine kind of the second market value and be like, all right, you're going to, we're going to print some fun stuff and you're going to get at least that amount of dollars or whatever. Like it's, it's going to affect the secondary market fine, but like, why not do that? Why create a subpar limited experience that as a premium price? But but that's that's kind of the like what I'm hearing is like you know it's like hey we want to have like a, a set that's full of all these awesome cards, but then on the flip side of it, it's we want to have a great draft experience, and I, I don't think that you can do both. No, I, I I agree. I don't think you can do both. So I don't think that arguing why they didn't go all out makes any sort of sense. And like you can't just make it the big money bucks set because. They didn't put anything in it, and it's going to sell like hotcakes, right? Like they got to keep some stuff in the vault. They got to have their Eternal Masters too. They got to have some stuff to reprint. Then, like Richard imports the the headliner for the next one. You know, like there's cards that are excluded to put into the next set, and that's how it's always going to be. And they got to do that kind of stuff because this is how they keep friendly with their secondary market friends to make sure that people are still pushing the game and running tournaments and selling singles and all that kind of stuff, because they can't have this set and just give it all away. They have to have this set and they have to have this opportunity where, you know, prices kind of do all this funny stuff or whatever the case may be. And people still gamble. And that's what we're doing is gambling. And 
you but, know, maybe they miss out on a certain card. I guess I guess my my desire was to see a set where stores, for example, from the vault product writ large. So maybe they charged three hundred and fifty, maybe they charge four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars a box, but you go and you can actually spend twenty five dollars a pack at a card store and get twenty five dollars worth of cards, if not more. Basically guaranteed. But see, we don't have a was, product like that. If that was going to be the case, then why would the stores ever sell it? Like that's the thing. Uh, this yeah. is if this is a product that's going to put singles into the market and stuff like that, and you have this product that it was like every pack you open is guaranteed value. You're not going to lose any money on these packs. Why would a store ever sell that? I wouldn't. I would just open up all the packs and sell the singles. Yeah. Like you got to have the gamble aspect because that's that's the that's the thing about this game that kind of, you know, sells this game is the fact that it is gambling for everybody. When it comes to packs at least. Yeah, I mean like I don't know if you guys still buy packs and open them. I definitely... I, I buy I buy boxes cuz that's the only way I can get my Korean cards. Oh, right. Instead of buying singles. Yes, because you can't buy Korean singles. Yeah, I don't buy packs. I mean, I don't buy packs. I do open prize packs very liberally, but I don't buy packs. I mean, I always want to open prize packs, but I never do. They just, like, I still have seven packs just sitting right in front of me right now on my desk. And I have a box I'm looking at right now sitting over there, prize packs. And I just never open them. Because I'm, it's just so much fucking shitty value. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and then I, and, and Jeremy's right. It is kind of like, it is kind of like gambling where I'm still sitting here going like, Ooh, but there could be an expedition in there or there could be a foil fucking whatever. Yeah. Like I took prize packs in battle for Zendikar because I wanted to open up expeditions. Right. Of course. Like I got, I got six packs and there's like statistically like very, very small chance that I'm going to open up any expedition. But yeah. I, I cracked them. Yeah, I, exactly. Don't or think like, I what's got that, anything useful out of it? But what's that was there where there was like, like recently, maybe in the last couple of years, where there was like really good money cards in it or something, and everybody wanted to take their prize packs as that set instead of whatever the current set was. Or well, I remember people doing that with World Wake. I remember people doing that with like, I don't know if it was rise i don't know like there there's been a few sets where like that happens where there's one set that's just heavily populated and that's what it always comes down to like our our local game store uh, mike at the store you sit there and you go to get your prize packs and he's like okay what packs do you want and it's like okay well what's the good one and he's like well uh you can get battle for zendikar and that has the highest that has the most expensive cards in it but it's a lottery if you want to get the card that the pack that has the most value in it you're going to get shadows right now because shadows just has more rares blah 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 but like that's the way he like sells prize packs essentially to people is just like this is the one that has the big money this is the one that has the most value you know he he people are focused on that so he focuses on that yes huh. i agree yeah <laughs> no you don't no but i mean i think that's the thing is like and i have a really hard time with it because i'm like when i play and then i'm like hey can i get my packs or whatever like very rarely, and they're like, "Yo, what packs do you want?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know any fucking magic cards." 
I don't know what's in any set. What's worth money? And then I'm still like, I'm not going to fucking open these anyway. So what do I care? Ugh, I don't know. And then, but then at the same time, it's like, you see these people that are like, can I trade these packs for these and these for this? And I'd like to open that. And I like every time I'm in Phoenix, there's always like, I don't know, three guys sitting around the counter and they're like, can I get a pack? And then they open it and they get some fucking dirtleman. And then they're like, oh, that sucked. I guess, can I get another one? And they're like, the guys sell it to them. And they're like, okay, well, that sucked. I didn't get anything again. And then it's just like over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You have like the, the hardcore gamblers. And we see that at like the store also is we had a box of alliances and they were selling alliance packs for 10 bucks a piece. And oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. As soon as like one guy buys a pack, if he opens up garbage, three more people want to buy a pack because. Force a will lottery, baby. Force a will lottery. He didn't get the force. That means there's more forces in that box. Yeah. And it's amazing to just see like a box incinerate one pack at a time. Like it just, everybody's going eight trying to get that one pack, you know? I, yeah, exactly. I once, so I wrote about a store that was having uh, an Ice Age draft as a side event to a, a PTQ like a long time ago. And I actually advertised it as, all right, they're drafting Ice Age. Force of Will and Dark Depths. Yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, so I so you did you did Eternal Masters and did you open anything sweet? Uh no, my first oh. pack was my first pack was oh, you didn't get to keep anything. No, I didn't. Uh, yeah. my first pack was Maze of If. Uh, my second pack was Crater Hellion, which tabled. So I was like, well, I better take this, I guess. It's a rare. Uh, my third pack was something. And my, or no, my third pack was the Vampiric Tutor, which I was happy to open because it was pretty cool. But yeah. then, like, it just fucking, like, went last pick. I think the last two picks were fucking Vampiric Tutor and him to Turok, which I was quite surprised. Um, and then... Mm, I don't remember what my fourth rare was. And then, like I said, like there wasn't any other good rares in the entire draft. There was like, you know, a Sensei's Divining Top, which is apparently a $30 card, and a foil Sensei's Divining Top. <laughs> Sweet! That's what people want. So, yeah. Nobody opened anything really cool. Like, not even a single cool thing. Um, you know what I will say? Is that it feels a lot like Cube. Um, like, when you open your first pack and you see uh, Maze of Ith, and you're like, okay, cool, that's the rare, and like that can go in a like that's a pretty good first pick, and you know that's like a super annoying card in limited because like how many fucking cards are there that deal with land and like whatever, right? So you're like, yeah, okay, that's a pretty good first pick, and then you go through the rest of the pack, and there's like days, counter spell, swords to plowshares, fucking <laughs> like, and you're like, wow, how do I make the choice here? And that's exactly what it feels like when. You know, when you're new to a format, when you're playing cube, and you're like, hmm, do I take this Frost Titan, or this Grave Titan, or this Doom Blade, or this Lightning Bolt, or this Mana Bolt, or this Jace the Mind Sculptor? Fuck me. <laughs> I saw some people on Twitter, of course, like, 
you nobody ever tweets the bad packs they open, so it's, yeah. it's always confirmation bias. But of course, like there were so many people, <laughs> like, hey, look at the foil Jace I opened, and right next to it was the fucking Force of Will. Yeah, I hated that about the new Zendikar set because it was like every fucking post on Facebook was an expedition. Right yeah, total... you're opening none of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jay, I was asking you if anyone was drafting uh, anything special because before I left for. Uh, I was done in work, but we had Eternals dra- uh, Masters Draft at the store at uh, 6.30, and one of my friends, Toby, was drafting a blue-red, I believe a Burning Vengeance deck, and it looked yeah, like I've it heard. had the components, yeah, so I've I don't know that. if that's actually viable. No, I think it is. I didn't think it was. I've heard that um, it's a really fun deck to play. Like, if you play it, you have more fun than anyone else playing the draft. But then I thought that Burning Vengeance was flashback. Only. Yeah. But it's not. It's any time you cast a card from your graveyard, I think. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, there's no fucking... There's no <laughs> flashback cards in this set. Like, this is so fucking stupid. But then I realized there's so many, like, retrace cards. Yeah. And that's what gets you going, because you can just recast those. Like, I didn't realize that you can cast a retrace card more than once. Like, oh, I yeah, thought, absolutely. <laughs> I thought it was similar. I never played with that. I never played with that mechanic. Oh. So I thought it was similar to flashback, where, like, you can retrace it by discarding a land and then it's exiled, like I is what I assume. Mm-hmm. And so I like somebody went to go exile their card and then we were playing it was it was funny, we did a three versus three team draft and it was team judges against team not judges was just how it like <laughs> randomly got paired up. So of course like team not judges just fucking demolished team judges. But team judges definitely made sure we played by the rules. <laughs> <laughs> So, so like the guy's like, oh yeah, fucking retrace my whatever, and uh, and then he went to go exile it, and the judge was like, oh, just so you know, that's not exiled, and we were both like, what? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, retrace is great. Yeah, it's a cool mechanic. It's 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 a cool mechanic in that it's like, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's better designed than flashback or not. Actually, now that I think about it, as a from a game design standpoint, what do you think, Matt? Matthew? Oh man, that's a good question. Matthew Mendoza, right? Like Matthew Mendoza. I mean, they but, they uh, kind of attack. They they kind of attack the game from a different. They both give you value. Yeah, like it's I just, feel like they're the same. They're the same problem with two different answers. Is what yeah, it feels. Yeah. Because especially now that with flashback, they've made it so that you can flashback for different costs. Like, I don't know if they ever did that when Flashback originally came out. They did. Could, like, like, did they do different colors, too? Uh, they did not do different colors. They did I was going to say, costs. that's what I meant. Sorry, not cost, but I meant colors. Like, so, I know, like, um, the elephant one was, like, three to make the first one and four to make the next one or something. Yeah. Right? But, like, Called they were both... But, yeah, I know well, the name of the card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> points for Jeremiah. But, uh, but they were both green. Whereas, and then I know, I think it was uh, Innistrad they brought back Flashback, I think. Uh, Time Spiral, they brought back Flashback. Oh, did they? Okay. And then in Time Spiral, could you do have like a white card with black Flashback? Uh, I don't know. Or did they not break that yet either? Because I know in Innistrad, obviously, they did. They did, yeah. Um, And so so that's an interesting take on Flashback. And then like with Retrace, it's the exact same cost with the added uh, cost of like a land discarding, which like feels better late game, like when you brick your land. And you're like, fuck. At least you can. Yeah. At least you can cycle that land into 
like <laughs> a shock or something, right? Whereas like with flashback, you're like brick your fifteenth land and limited, and you're like, well, great, nothing costs fifteen to flash it back. That's retarded. So weren't like this doesn't help me. But then flashback being different colors, but lower cost maybe helps yeah like uh, uh time spiral like, did do multicolor flashback by the way i looked up the thrill of the hunt for example it's one green instant uh it's a pump spell that flashes back for one white okay 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 yeah, yeah. oh and i guess ancient grudge is an old card right it's from time spiral yeah yeah and that one was multicolor was red then green yeah 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 so, yeah i don't know what do you guys think what do you guys think is a better mechanic what do you mean is a better mechanic flashback or retrace yeah, like, 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 which one do you think is, like, when you're, as a player, because you guys don't like to talk about game design, but as a player, like, which one do you guys prefer? I like the flashback cards better, but I like Retrace as a mechanic better, because it's just, <laughs> it's just stronger. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, don't know, I like drawing lands and then not using lands is really, really cool. Yeah. It's interesting that both of you said you like flashback, yeah. and, and yet you both agree that Retrace is better. But... The big thing with it is I just I don't think that there's strong enough retrace cards. I love some retrace cards. Like I've I flame jab. I love flame jab. I love uh Raven's Crime. Like I've played those cards in many a deck because they just lend into life from the loam decks, right? Like they're just right. natural loam cards. Right, right, so right. I've used a lot of them in the past. Uh, yeah. Use Worm Harvest a little bit, and I like that card too. I do. You can tell I I like these cards because, again, they are cards that I know the name of. Yeah, I sort of do not know the name of cards. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I have to agree with Jeremy. I think that retrace is. I like retrace more, but it is very. It is much more difficult to aggressively cost a card with retrace. Oh yeah, and I think that's probably because it's the same casting cost. So if you made the if you made it a lower casting cost, then the card itself, even without retrace, becomes so much better. Yeah. And so I think that'll probably, you'll find a lot of those cards fall in, like, the three and a half range. You know? Like, it's, it's the card is very good at, at two. Or, sorry, the card is very good at three, but not good enough at four. So then it would be perfect at three and a half if that existed as a casting cost. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, just one where of those things where it's like, it's it's such a powerful effect. Yeah, whereas with flashback, you could easily make a card like Lingering Souls, three mana for two one one flyers. That's fine. You could play that in any white deck, even without having the flashback. But then, because flashback requires you to actually have different uh, like mana to cast it, whether it's either more or a different color, it makes it harder. So then they can push the original card maybe a little bit because there's the chance that you'll never flash it back whereas with retrace you can all if you can cast it once you can most definitely cast it again yeah i i get that i, I agree what do you think kyt because man mendoza cut you off there when you were talking Man, i've been trying to get in yeah. <laughs> both times yeah could you yeah. try uh-huh. harder like, like um who does man mendoza <laughs> think he is martin bernay bernay <laughs> <laughs> the knife is I, I... on the inside always <laughs> I actually like just flashback overall in all cases. I'm not a game design expert by any stretch. I guess it's just, I can't really define why it's just aesthetically more pleasing to me. Um, But for Retrace, I wish that they had explored it more uh, instead of just having basically 
the most known cards that I know are the ones that that Jeremy um, talked about, which is just either the one mana cost one or the the crazy one. So I haven't, you know, felt when I think of retrace, it's like just okay, this is like this card, one card of their choice, that type of effect, or flame jab, one damage. There hasn't been that medium in the middle type of effect that I can think of that I've used that has retrace on it. So, but overall, just like seeing the cost of the flashback on the card itself. You're right. And I, I think, know, I think that, that matters, right? Aesthetics matter. And I, I actually have to agree that I like flashback as a mechanic inherently because it looks better than the word retrace with nothing. Right. Yeah. I like Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Nothing. I miss the little graveyard symbol. Speaking of, oh, actually, I wish they would bring that back. It kind of sucks that they, like, have this policy where they, like, where they won't, like, affect the card or whatever, I think is, like, something they say or something. They're like, we don't want to do that because then, like, it, it doesn't look like a magic card. Same reason why they won't change the back, which I do agree with, but it would be nice. Like, I, I like that little tombstone. Yeah. I thought it was super cool. Well, they still do stuff like that. Like, flip cards have, like, the little fucking suns little logo dots. on them and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got dots. Yeah. Dots are a thing. I wonder yeah, I wonder uh, what they do if they did that dot with everything, and then they just put, you know, the MTGO symbol. They use it, you know, like, the creatures have this symbol, planeswalkers have this symbol, enchantments have this symbol. That could be kind of interesting. What are you talking about? Um, like what's an example? I can't picture it in my head. I'm look sure. on. Uh, let me see if Mythic Spoiler has it. Look on Mythic Spoiler, for example. Mythic Spoiler. Mythic Spoiler. And what am I looking for? Uh, just see the symbols that are right next to the Eternal Masters logo. Like uh, the lightning oh, bolt like and the creature claw. Shit. Yeah, and then there's the cup, and then there's the land, there's a planeswalker symbol or whatever. Yeah, okay. That'd be kind of interesting to do that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, it might be, it might be. I don't know if I would like that or not. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, in, in related news, the fucking Pittsburgh Penguins won the Stanley Cup. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> Not every day the penguins be- defeat the sharks, but actually I saw some videos of that on YouTube of real penguins defeating real sharks. So fucking maybe it is that often. You know what? You show me one of those fucking penguins who beats up a shark with a beard like George Thurton's, and I'll fucking buy in, okay? Whatever. That beard didn't do shit. That what beard was fucking last- amazing. It was like a fucking wildlife so reserve. Old. He looks so old he comes dust, and obviously time was catching up with him. Hmm. Yes, hmm, indeed. Hmm. Indeed. I feel really bad. I feel very, very bad because because that old man's never gonna win a cup. Yeah, that's okay. that's pretty much it. Old Joe Thornton ain't gonna win a cup, right? He's like Oldie Hawn, never gonna win an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, but you know he's not Oldie Hawn. No, he's he Oldie Hawn. Oh, burn. Yeah. But he 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 has you know realistic. Yeah. I, I felt that like there, like there's probably ten pounds of hair on the combined faces of those three bros. I would say on the combined face of him. Wow, that's probably true as well. He had a lot of fucking hair on his face. Like that was <laughs> the playoff beard of playoff beards. That's kind of true. Isn't it? Yeah. 
Like, I really hope that in the years to come, we don't talk about Pittsburgh winning in the cup. We talk about Joe Thornton's beard. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of scraggly. He could have fucking cleaned it up. It no, been. man, you can't. That's that's just how it works. Uh, I know. But still. Yeah, but still, my answer. Yeah, but still. The old yeah, yeah but. Fucking yeah, but. Mm, yeah, but. Jeremy, you played in a PPTQ, right? I did, I did, I did a sealed. Oh, was it EMA sealed? Oh goodness, no, no, it was SOI sealed. Uh, people they were doing, doing that. People were doing, doing that. Year, it was like eighty bucks. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah, they did an EMA. They were doing like on-demand drafts for EMA. Really? And they were forty dollars. Oh, they should have a pretty price actually. They, I think, paid out a minimum of one EMA pack. So what? They were. Yeah, it was like just infinite value. Like people were just vomiting value to play in them. It's like you could buy packs for like seventeen bucks a piece, or you could play. Yeah. this they gave you four packs for forty dollars. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, I know that like the WMCQ that's going to be happening in Edmonton in a few weeks. Like, I think everybody is getting paid out in EMA packs for prizing. Wow, okay. So it's like a box to each person in the top eight, and I think all the judges for are getting EMA boxes, and, like, the store pretty much has more EMA product set aside for prizing at cost than most stores are getting in their allocation. How so, do they do that? They have just really, really good relationships because they've been buying tons of cards forever, so distributors and stuff like that, they've got a bunch of it put aside. They claim from, because they have three stores, so they're just, you know, scraping from all the stores to make sure that they have this big stockpile of it. And then they're the one store in the city that you can always buy a pack there, but they're also the most expensive store to get it from. So they give a ton of it away at cost and prices, but if you want to buy it from them, you're going to pay more from them than most places. I see. And, like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's funny, we actually had a discussion about that, about, like, some people coming in, like, the one guy who works at the one chain was just really upset that the prices were higher and that, you know, they didn't have the same price as another store that was selling them for $14 a pack. And it was just like, but you can't go to that store and buy a pack. Like, it's great that they were selling it cheap, but if I want to go and buy an EMA pack right now, I can't go there and buy a pack. But I can yeah. go to the store and buy a pack. You know, it's kind of the Star City Games effect or whatever the case may yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the cheapest price, but it is a price that you will always be able to buy it at. Right, and that makes a difference. Yeah, and I think it's like, which customer are you going after? And I also understand, like, part of their whole thing is, is that we're going to give away so much of this at cost that it would be nice to try and make some money off of this. Yeah. And I think sure. it's fine for a store to do that if they're going to be very charitable with it in other ways. Yeah, so I, uh, I played Magic Cards. I got... Uh, it's more like... I, I realized that I haven't done a lot of paper sealed in a bit because i completely forgot about like how they're not doing the swaps the same way anymore like all that stuff was completely like blew me over that and it was funny because it was like an eye-opener it's like wow it's been way too long since i've done one of these i'm doing way more constructed what's this what's with the way that uh you do deck swaps now uh ever since uh battle from zendikar or battle from zendikar yeah now what happens when you sit down at the table is you get your packs Half of the room will open the packs while the person across the table watches them. And then, you know, you go through your packs and everything like that. 
and you take your pile of cards and you put them down in front of you and then you watch your opponent open up his packs and put the cards down in front of him. And the cards that you open are the cards that you get to play with. Oh, you don't so, swap anymore. No, you, you, you swap for registers. So I'll give my cards after my opponents watch me open them. I'll give that pile of cards to them and they'll register the pool and then they give the cards back. Oh. Yeah. So that nobody's having feel bads about their double Tarmogoyf pool anymore. Exactly. You get rid of those feel bads. You get rid of the expedition feel bads, all that kind of stuff, right? Right, right. Yeah, so they were trying to cut down. I think they were trying to cut down on just how many people were dropping out of tournaments. Yeah, because obviously you want people to play in your tournaments, right? Yeah. And it's like, you could go to... You, like, if if you went to, you know, let's use an extreme uh, example, but if you went to Vegas to play in GP Modern Masters 2 or whatever like that, you're not going to get a foil Tarmogoyf and play in the tournament. No. Like, yeah. both of those realities did not exist. If someone opened a foil Tarmogoyf, they would drop, and they would keep their foil Tarmogoyf. The only way that you were going to get a foil Tarmogoyf is if you did some sort of sleeping special thing where they just gave you a pool of cards. Yeah. That were pre-registered, right? By somebody right. else. Right, yes, yeah. So, that was, you know, the only way that that could happen, and that was just not cool. So... Yeah, I open up this pool and I've got I've got always watching and I've got the white wrath. I've got the makings of uh, an aggressive green red or white red deck. I've got like some odd blue things that are pretty good. I've got some odd black things that are pretty good and I've got the white things that are pretty good. So I'm looking at my pool and I kind of lay it all out and I've got a white red deck that I have to make like nine cuts for. So it's like, okay, this is a good problem to have. It's good to have all these cards. Um, I've got, you know, some artifacts in there so that I can hit, like, the odd uh, Delirium because I got two of the 2-2 Flyers. Um, I've got, you know, I had, like, some bigger Angels and stuff like that that I wasn't super stoked on because I don't like to play soak spells in my deck. So I ended up settling on, like, Wrath of God plus Boros Aggro. And it worked out pretty well for me. You know, I played uh, I played a Mirror, and I won the Mirror, and... It was just kind of one of those things where it's like these aggro mirrors, they felt very much like when I was talking about the bank company thing, where it's one person's going to blow the other person out, it's whoever missteps. And then the games that get drawn out, uh, the fact that I had the Wrath of God really set me apart. Because I could sit there and do the same thing that you do anytime that you're playing limited and you have a Wrath of God effect. You hold on to a couple cards until your opponent has overwhelming advantage. They kind of go in will overextend themselves to kind of get that extra little bit, and then you crush them. And nobody expects to see it. No. And it's funny, because this is one of those formats, like, I played 16 lands. I played a 16 land, like, limited deck, and I felt great about it, because I only had one card in my deck that cared about land, and that was the Wrath. And if right. I, in a case where I'm going to use the Wrath, it's probably because I'm flooding out. Yeah, I, actually, with with Eternal Masters, I ended up doing the same thing. I uh, I played sixteen lands, red white aggro, but then I had the crater hellion in there. Just I just used it only as a wrath. Like I was like, yep, if we get into a standstill and I have to I have to break the I have to break the standstill, this card will do it, and it leaves me with a body, which is like a which is a which is almost better than a regular wrath. Yeah, but like I remember one point I was in a crazy board stall. I wasn't losing. But I didn't feel like I had a way to close out the game. Like, I didn't feel like I had, like, the way to do combat tricks or anything like that to get by my opponent. 
So at one point where it's like, I did the wrath where I think I lost more, I exiled more creatures, but I got the 4-4 flyer and the 4-4 flyer closed out the game for me. You know, like those types of spots also that I was in. Um, So yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty cool like thing there. I I play against an aggro deck. I play against another aggro deck, the other aggro deck, like it just kind of goes out and he's got the better trick. So, you know, I ended up uh, doing like a 2-2 thing and I don't know. It was, it was, I felt a lot better about, I, I felt the most comfortable I felt with sealed and limited in this format than I had in a long time. Like, I think I'm finally starting to understand things. Uh, I was really happy because when I was playing for, I, I, I ended up going X2. I didn't go 2 2. I went X2 because um, I, I ended up playing for packs. I, I never pay, play for pack prizing, but. There was also like this bizarre thing where there was three unintentional draws at the top tables in the last three rounds. <laughs> so I was like, maybe an X2 actually gets in. It ended up being a clear cut anyways, but it was like a really, really awkward situation uh, because like the points were all over the place. There was only one guy who was undefeated like at the, in the going into the last round. Uh, well, one guy who had won all of his matches going into the last round, then there was a whole bunch of weird undefeateds because they were all draw undefeateds. And uh, yeah, so I sat there and I played it. And I just remember in the last round, I played against the guy whose deck that I had to register, like the guy who was sitting across the table from me. And I think one of the parts that I liked about the tournament the most was when I was looking through his pool and registering his pool. And like he was a very competent player, I was looking at his pool and I said, this is the deck that I want to make when I was registering it. And it ended up being the same deck that he made. Hello. Oh, sweet. Yeah. On phone. yeah. Somebody's calling me. I don't know why it's probably work or something. Yeah. Eight, six. Oh no. I hope it's not that guy. So Jay, just... where are we in, uh, finding you new cube players? Oh God. Don't go there. Oh my God. You guys, don't go there. So funny. You know, I should go back and listen to the episode because I feel like you guys are blowing it so far out of proportion. Okay. Like, I feel like it's like just, you know, it's like when you're sitting oh, around God, with, your, there. with your bro friends and you're like bitching about your wife, right? And you're making like jokes and shit. And then everyone's like, oh my God, you just get a new wife. Like, you shouldn't stay together if you're not happy. And it's like, what? I'm not, I didn't say I wasn't happy. Okay. Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe that's the case. I mean, you weren't exactly clear you with that. You sold us hard on being miserable. Yeah. I think I, think I was selling you hard on, on you not understanding what I was trying to say. Uh, okay. And I was trying to convince you, and you were frustrating me, I think. Have. But maybe in the trying to convince us, you were selling us hard on being miserable. I mean... <laughs> Let's not do this. Let's not do this. Yeah. Dozer, did you play Magic? I did not. I worked almost 75 hours this week. Sweet. Yeah. Between doing sound for a short film, working a wedding, and my regular eight to five. So it was uh, a very busy week for me. Good for you. That's how you make money and become a productive member of society. That's what they tell me. Yes. You are a cog. I was given a really cool compliment today or yesterday where somebody uh, one of the grips that was on the set that I was working on was like, how how old are 
how old are you? He's like, I was like, uh, 30. He's like, get out of here. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I thought you were like 23 or 24. I'm like, that's what a life of no stress will do for you. So. Showed him. Yeah. Yeah. It's also because you look like a teddy bear. It's true. It's true. Oh. Oh, I, I just don't like to do things I don't like to do, and I don't do those things. That's right. So, like you don't listen. like to wipe your ass, and so then you just like to do it with a towel. Yeah. No problem. I would buy one of those fancy it's, toilets it's my thing. water right your ass. Oh, yeah. Like a, <laughs> a bidet or whatever they call it. A bidet. What? Where yeah, did you call it? A bidet, I said. Oh my goodness, I thought you said a bidet, and I was like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you gotta go washlet style. Crazy Japanese shoot water at your ass toilet. It's like not a bidet, it's like something else? No, it's like, it's like just like a, a, a pimped out seat that you put on your regular toilet. What? And like, what? it like has like iPod functions, and it warms your butt, and it like Shoots water and then yeah. blow dries your ass. What the fuck? I know. <laughs> what uh, haven't the Japanese come up with? I don't know, but they've definitely blown us out of the water on toilet technology. Fuck. I mean, they're not just in Japan. The Japanese? No, not the Japanese. <laughs> Bidets and like these, <laughs> these toilet seats and stuff. Jesus. I know you can buy them here, but like. That was hilarious. (laughs) That was good. That was good. So, Jay, I'm getting closer to assembling my Ravnica City Cube. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the nostalgia is real. I'm super, super excited that we get to play with some of these cards in this cube. So what are are some synergies you think are going to come up? Uh, Well, there's the white-green tokens deck. There's the... Oh, because you'll have Populate now. Yeah, Populate, and then, like, Glare of Subduel is a card we get to play. What? Glare of Subduel. What about it? The, like, white-green opposition. Yeah. You get to play that in this cube. It's great. Okay. I mean, it's just a card I'm so excited about. Are you putting, Uh, like, one of every card in, or is it, like... No, no, it's it's definitely going to be a pruned. Because one of every card just sounds miserable. Yes. Because there's some garbage. Yes. But uh, I just got a Bob today in the mail, as well as three of my Shocklands that are original. Nice. But, uh, but yeah, like the red-white aggressive deck, the blue-black mill deck. I'm excited ab- about how, like, how I'm, I'm wondering how I'm going to tailor the green-black graveyard decks. Because those seem really fun. Yeah. Unearth. Is Unearth? What was the green black mechanic in original Ravnica? Dredge. Dredge. Yeah. Right. Actual dredge. Right. Have you guys been uh, speaking of designing stuff? Have you guys been checking out Ryan Senio's fucking fairy tale cube that he's updating? No. No, I know you mentioned it last week, but it's fucking so cool. By the way. Okay. He's like doing fairy tales, like how kind of Innistrad kind of was, but he's like he doesn't have like wizards like legal team where he has to watch out for like ripoffs or anything. So like he he like you know he can do a card called like the big bad wolf if he wanted to kind of thing. And uh and it's like super cool. He's got like a storyline. I think it's called Ancora or something it's his world. And he's doing like Hansel and Gretel cards and like fucking it's super cool. So shout out to Ryan. 
he's doing well with it. And he, like, updates fairly often. Like, even I, when I want to do, like, I'm all about, like, custom sets and custom Magooch and whatever. But, like, even I am, like, oh, yeah, I want to write an article for KYP, but, like, uh, it's just so... Nah, I won't. I'll just fucking <laughs> enter the link and just fucking not, you know. And uh, and he's doing really well. He's like putting out cards all the time, and he's got he writes little articles that are like not horrible. Like you you want to read them kind of thing, you know. They're not like too long and boring. Yeah. Cool. Well, Shout I'll definitely out. include that a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Do that, Kyle. Fucking do it. You fucking. And also, what's up with Kyle finding every four-leaf clover on the planet? Kyle is trying to exterminate four-leaf clovers. He must my... be. No wonder they're rare. The motherfucker has picked every single one up. Exactly. So I always try to give him shit about it. <laughs> I think that he also needs to look up more because he's like yeah. one of these guys who's going to get run over because he's looking for four-leaf clovers. <laughs> you know, like. The younger generation, they're all looking at their phone and stuff like that, where, like, Kyle's looking at four-leaf clovers. My old man used to be, like, the guy who'd find the nickels and pennies on the ground all oh, the time. Yeah. 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 need to look up and see what's happening in the world. Yeah, Jesus. I'm going to hit by Are a bus, Kyle. A we don't want you to get hit by a bus, Kyle. Yeah, that would be bad. I think that's what we got this week. Yeah. So you guys have any magic coming up in the next week or so? Nope. I've got probably 13 more days of 12-hour days. How how much is draft where you guys are? How many dollar dues? Mm, I'd say there's 16 or $17. I can't remember. It kind of depends. Uh... Some some places do ten dollars drafts. That's US. That's US. Oh, but yeah. but they rare redraft. Yeah, we have a store in town that does like a really. Thing. Yeah, that, uh, I I I could see that being like a problem with a store doing that. Like I know people that do rare redraft. It's not a big deal. It's just eventually they this that store actually went away with it. Went away from it uh-huh. because it's just kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Um. The organization and everything, and um, but I it's usually about 12 to 15 dollars here. Okay, that's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, we uh, like at the store I go to, Warp 2, uh, so the 16 or 17 bucks, everybody gets at least one pack. Uh, I played, we had a really small turnout for FNM, I played in a 10 person tournament, uh, I won that tournament and I got six packs. I think it was like six four, yeah, six four two one is what the breakout was. So one pack for everybody. If you won one match, you got two packs. If you right. won two matches, you got four packs. And if you won it, you got six packs. And then they give out the promos as well, right? So the FNM promos. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, so it's not a very top heavy pool, but everybody who plays gets a pack. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool, yeah. For sure. Mm. But uh, one exciting thing I wanted to tell everybody about, as I mentioned before, I'm going to a coverage conference uh, in Seattle this weekend. So uh, as you hear this, so Thursday, 
You'll get this Thursday. I'm flying out Friday morning. Uh, I want to hear your suggestions for coverage. Uh, if you have complaints, if you have uh, questions, if you have anything that you want me to bring up to the uh, coverage folk at the coverage conference, I want you to send it to me. Uh, I really do want to use this platform to hear from you. And if you have ideas, we want them. If you have suggestions, we want them. If you have things that you like to see that do we do differently, I want to hear about them. I also, if you want to send send compliments, that would be great too. I, do, I have a compliment. Can I give you a compliment? Yeah, right sure. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, at the end of the GP coverage this weekend that they did end credits and kind of reviewed who was on the team. Okay. And I really love the fact that there is a super cosplayable title. The fact that there is a principal life bar is a pretty badass title. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like principal life bar just seems like a badass thing to like try and cosplay. <laughs> I will let them know. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching Neil. Did good this week. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're going to, me and Neil, we're going to talk so much shit about you and Jeremy. No, you're <laughs> not. You guys love <laughs> it's, me. It's true. Is it's he going to be there? Uh, yeah, it's the everybody. Everybody from the coverage teams from across the world will be at this conference. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they're serious. Oh, hopefully they're serious about giving you a couple of gigs here. Holy shit. Oh, yeah, same. I, I agree. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so uh, send them to me either on Twitter at Matt Mendoza, uh, M-A-T-T-M-E-N-D-O-Z-A, or Matt, M-A-T-T-J Mendoza, M-A-T-T-J M-E-N-D-O-Z-A, at gmail.com send it to me what's his name oh yeah i legitimately want to hear from you i am being fully sincere you know you have a voice i can help bring that to the people that need to hear it so yeah that's all i got what about you kyt what am i doing this weekend yeah i am checking out watching ufc on saturday i'm excited Uh, it is not 200, oh. but it's probably... Isn't it like the crazy fight night? Yeah, I would actually say, oh, Jay, that would be my normal reaction to, to like a random UFC event. Yeah. But this one's like one of, the, one of the top... It's actually hyped to be like the top fight night ever. And it's got... Like the main, the main fight is basically pay-per-view worthy. It's Steven uh, Wonderboy Thompson against Rory McDonald. So Yeah, the water boy, man. <laughs> so it's a huge and then there's other good fights on the card so I'm actually pretty excited where normally I would actually be like well, whatever um, so I'm going to that I'm sadly going to miss the WMCQ that's going to be happening on Saturday in Montreal so I'm probably I'm most likely going to be going to Toronto to play that one you can always come to Edmonton bro sister. Or, a face to face literally the next day right or go down to Edmonton yeah, um, man, come play RWMCQ and then play in the super sick face to face 5K and <laughs> private, whatever. Fast, fast, je fast, fast, Martin. We're, <laughs> we're doing the same thing here. We're after the uh, WMCQ on Saturday. There's going to be a Montreal Modern Open. I believe it's a 3K a on 3K, Sunday. 3K, only 3K. Only not, 3K, not the not 5K. 5K, not Edmonton 5K. Not Edmonton 5K. That we're doing a week after we have a Red Deer 2K. Right. 
Um, the five K's to make up for uh, for the screw up, basically, I think that we had uh, a couple months back, where a lot of people were turned away because of our cap, um, or no, because we did not have a cap, and that's what uh, prompted us to start having pre-regs, having cap limits, and stuff like that. And for the people who were turned away, they get free entry to this tournament if they write uh, to Peter Sacklas at uh, customer service at FaceToFaceGames.com. Uh, so excited P. about this Pablo at FaceToFaceGames.com. <laughs> you got to make sure that redirects. Right, right. So excited about the tournament. I mean, some there are still um, some haters in the uh, ever so heated MTG Alberta group. There sometimes always comes, will be though. Like, uh, you know, uh, there were always like misinformed information, like before. We ran our first GP ever. People had the impression that we've been hosting like GP level events for a while now, and that we shouldn't uh, shouldn't make these rookie mistakes when we we had yet to hold one. Right. And uh, now, since we held the GP, had basically very good reviews across the board. Still, a lot of things to improve upon. Hey man, PES had an event and nobody was complaining, so it could happen to anybody, you know. Yeah, it could happen to anybody. <laughs> we, I made. Uh, I felt like we made a number of rookie mistakes, but thank God, overall, it was a good event. And, uh, you know, there, there was, like, a recent comment that said, well, I'll, I'll wait until face-to-face can show, can show that they can run a real league tournament before I go to an Open again. It's like, well, we just ran a GP. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, people in general give us more of a shot as we definitely wanted to make it back up to all these people that we turned away and disappointed. And, you know, we're constantly learning every step of the way, like the GP was not perfect. Uh, it was above average for a first try, but it was something that we'll hopefully get another one next year to improve on. And uh, with these opens as well, that's what we're trying to do. So that will, that's my weekend or what to look forward to. And I'm happy. Shout outs to Alex for top eighting in he Prague. He doesn't seem very happy about that. Uh, I guess there, it's just... He wants to lock up certain things, like maybe locking up Platinum. He wants to 100% lock up the team captain slot, which I asked him. There's still some ways for him to lose that spot if, like, Sean McLaren wins the next PT or Pascal Maynard top eight something. Like, there's still a, a variety of scenarios where he doesn't lock that up. So I think he's at this point where his resume is so impressive that a top four is not, he's just like, whatever. Um, which wouldn't be a whatever for me. It'd be like a huge highlight. Yeah, that's pretty uh, good. Like... Yeah, he's at that point now. And I know he doesn't play that much legacy. So for him to just like take a deck and just crush it, again, testament to his skill. And uh, yeah, excited to see how he does in his next PT, which will be in fucking Australia. I really so that's for me. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same here. Same here. But I went O2 drop, man. Yeah. I got to, like, get one of these last couple PPTQs because it's an Edmonton RPTQ, right? So. Although they have yeah, the last yeah. chance qualifier, and I, I didn't know about that until last week's episode, so. Thank yeah, they have that. this new thing, yeah. Yeah, that is the thing. Manager. I hope so. <laughs> well, all right. Woo! It was a good episode, guys. Yeah. Wait episode, bros. Well, uh thanks for listening. 